Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, I thought it was really interesting to listen to George Klyovkov, the Pac 12 Conference Commissioner, today. He was speaking in downtown San Francisco, and uh, he was pressed a little bit uh, about conference media rights. Uh, he was there not to talk about the media rights, he's there to talk about basketball. But the news conference kind of devolved into a conversation about media rights. We're going to focus a little bit on that uh, on today's show. Bob Thompson will be with us, the former Fox president, uh, Fox Sports president. He will be with us to talk about uh, the uh, how these deals come together. Because I think we're really in kind of the 11th hour stage of this media rights negotiation for the Pac-12. And... There's some interesting tentacles that are going on, some byproducts. Uh, you know, he, he even made a statement. I want to play this clip. He made a statement about meteorites that kind of jumped out to me, you know, as he was talking about the idea that uh, the Pac-12 conference is going to close the gap with uh, the Big Ten and others. Listen to what Klyovkov said. Yeah, I, I think it's a couple of things. I, I think first, um, we're, we're going to do a meteorites deal here in the near future, which will close the gap between us and, and the Big Ten and the SEC. Uh, that's the first step. Eventually, we'll catch those guys. It'll take a couple of steps, but, but we're going to take a step towards closing that gap. Uh, and then we're going to be looking at an expansion. We're going to be looking at schools that make sense for us. Did you catch what he said in the middle there? I want to play the part that I think is really, you know, he talked about closing the gap but he talked about it as multiple steps listen eventually we'll catch those guys it'll take a couple of steps but but we're going to take a step towards closing that gap he gonna we're going to take a couple of steps meaning there's more than one step to get to where the big 10 conference and the sec and others are uh, i think it's interesting because it tells me that it's possible the pac-12 market or the pac-12 uh, conference could go to market twice before the Big Ten gets back to market again. And remember, they signed a seven-year media rights deal with Fox and others. Uh, and uh, the SEC's got 10 years left on their deal. But uh, it's possible the Pac-12 could get back to market twice. We'll talk about that on today's show. We'll take a visit to the uh, Pac-12 footprint of uh, U Utah and Washington State. Bill Riley, ESPN Salt Lake City. He's going to be en route to Pullman. For the Thursday night football game, we got a Thursday night game this week in the Pac-12 Conference. He'll be uh, he'll be joining us here later this hour. Bob Thompson, former Fox Sports Network's president, will be with us at four o'clock. And uh, Brock Heward was a guest on the Kanzano and Wilner podcast. He said some interesting things. I'm going to dissect what he talked about. He talked about Oregon. He talked about the quarterbacks in the conference. Uh, you'll hear Brock Heward's thoughts on that on today's show. Steven, you're in studio. How you doing, man? What's I'm, going on? I'm doing well, John. Uh, yeah, you know, some interesting things. I, You know, it's fun to listen to uh, Pac-12 basketball coming back because I'm a big college basketball guy. But, uh, yeah, you know, media rights and college football taking over even college basketball. It's uh, very interesting times. The uh, the idea, George Klyovkov said fans were not in favor of the USC-UCLA move. 
How big is that? Like, you know, and again, I'll play his clip. Uh, I think you played it in your update. And for people who are listening to the show uh, in various parts of the footprint, uh, you know, sometimes you get Stevens update depending on what uh, affiliate you're with. Sometimes you get others. But George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 Conference Commissioner, speaking today as part of Pac-12 Media Day uh, uh, for basketball, ends up talking a lot about the USC-UCLA defection to the Big Ten Conference. I think it's really interesting. Uh, I'm going to play that clip uh, here because I want people to hear what he said uh, about USC and UCLA. I think saying hundreds would be an exaggeration. Dozens, more than 100. Um, and I have yet to talk to anyone at, in the UCLA and USC community who's in favor of the move. I will say that I probably hear from folks who are not in favor, right, not surprisingly. Klyovkov's uh, comments followed his continued promotion of the Pac-12's future without USC and UCLA. But he, uh, he also sent a letter to the University of California system regents that stated UCLA's move to the Big Ten would create a financial challenge for the Bruins. He reiterated those claims today, and then when he was pressed on it, he told the reporter, you know, you can go find the letter. Uh, we can stand by uh, those, uh, we'll stand by those uh, remarks and those figures. Uh, Dana Altman, Oregon coach, was asked uh, uh, about the UCLA and USC move. He said there's no way to sugarcoat it. It's not good for our league but we've got good, uh, 10 good teams, and it's our challenge to improve. So a lot to talk about on that front. Do you think it matters that fans aren't in favor of this? Like, Klyovkov's positioning this as, the, as if the fans have a vote in this, Stephen. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, I think that it does slightly. I don't think that it's a huge deal, but I do think that you know if there is enough uproar that it could cause some problems. And what, to me, it makes it sound like, John, is that the Pac-12 is still holding out hope that they can at least hang on to UCLA. And by Klyovkov coming out and saying, you know, the fans aren't aren't in favor of it, we're not in favor of it, you know, Dana Altman saying it really hurts the league, I think it's just putting out those, you know, the little the little notes out there saying the Pac-12 would really like to have UCLA back in their conference, and they're trying to put it out as, like, it's all negative for them. So what is the point of them going to the Big Ten? I, so I think just adding it that the fans and the communities don't like it as well, I think they're trying to build this case of, you know, we want UCLA back, and I, you know, this is the best way to go about it. Yeah, th- that he hasn't talked to anybody who's in favor of it is interesting, but I'm not sure that's going to matter much in the end. Meanwhile, in uh, the world of the NBA, Clay Thompson got ejected last night after getting into it with Devin Booker. Uh, what happened with that Devin Booker, Clay Thompson thing? Because all I saw last night, as I kind of d- was looking at it, and and uh, as it was happening on social media, was Clay Thompson. Reminding Booker that he has four championship rings. Is is there something wrong with telling a guy you got four rings? <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. But, you know, I think Devin Booker, he's one of the uh, guys that talks a lot of trash in the NBA. You know, Loki, I think he talks a lot of trash. And, uh, you know, Clay was struggling last night. And I think it all just kind of, you know, bubbled up into that at the end, you know, during the game. And Clay's saying, you know, why are you talking to me all this, all this trash when I'm the one who's won four championships? I'm going to be the one in the Hall of Fame. Like, who are you to be saying this? So, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, and if you're the Suns, like Devin Booker even said after the game, like, you know, what can I respond to that? If someone says they have four championships, they're not wrong. Like he's correct. I, <laughs> I can't, I can't argue back. So yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong. And that's the ultimate trump card is, you know, Clay Thompson and the Warriors can say, well, we're the champions. Like, what are you guys? You you had one of the best regular seasons of all time, and then you failed in the playoffs. 
So, you know, who are you trying to step up to us? You know what I don't like is I don't like the whole ring mentality, that ring culture in the NBA. It's about getting a ring, having a ring, and the super teams aligning themselves to create the rings. And I want to celebrate the Warriors as a team that did it through the draft and did it the right way. But they're throwing that ring culture in the face of everybody else while, you know, simultaneously doing it. Now, now I, I haven't, like, openly rooted against the Warriors. Like, I grew up a Warriors fan, but I don't relate at all to this era of Warriors basketball because the era of Warriors basketball that I watched was Joe Barry Carroll and World Be Free and Sleepy Floyd, and it wasn't very good. I mean, it was entertaining, but it wasn't championship level. It wasn't anywhere near there. But now I'm watching these guys, and I almost feel like between Draymond Green in the preseason throwing the punch with Jordan Poole and now Clay Thompson's ejection, it's like almost enough to root against these guys. Do you think the rest of basketball now views the Warriors as the villains? Ooh, uh, yeah, I kind of think they are a little villainous. Uh, they always kind of were, and then they got Durant, and they really were. And then they kind of flipped the other way once they got rid of Durant, once he left to go to Brooklyn. So I think it's kind of been a big full circle going forward as, you know, when they were when they were new, when they first started winning with Steph and Clay and Draymond, people loved him because it was something we hadn't seen. And then we got tired of him because they kept winning. So I think it's, it's going back circle. And I think it's, uh, yeah, well, like it was a cool story to see the comeback after them struggle for a couple of years, miss the playoffs, come back, win the NBA championship, now it's like, all right, we're over the Warriors again. We want to see someone else uh, go up against the Warriors. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think they are kind of the villains again. Meanwhile, the Portland Trailblazers sitting alone on top of the Western Conference with a 4-0 record, the only undefeated team left in the West, only one of two undefeated teams in the league. Nobody's 4-0 except the Blazers. Uh, what is going on here? Because at the beginning of the season, I said, you know what, start tanking now, dismiss this team. I don't want to change my tune right now because uh, I don't want to jinx them. But, you know, they get wins over the Kings, the Suns, the Lakers, two road wins in there, the Nuggets. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's they've captured lightning in a bottle. They'll play tonight at home against the Heat. Yeah, no doubt. And that's the thing is this schedule at the start of the year, the first 20 or so games, is really difficult. So to get wins like this, like they've been getting against good teams, right? They beat Denver. Uh, they went on the road and beat L.A. They beat Phoenix. Like, these are good teams that they have gone out and beaten, and it's a different way of doing it, John, this year. And I was, you know, you know, not to be a hater, but I was a guy that was on the under for the Blazers. I didn't think they'd make the playoffs. I was very skeptical of what was going on. But now I'm, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to believe because it's only four games, so I'm trying not to get over my skis, but they're doing it a certain way where it seems sustainable. And what I mean by that is, they're doing it on the defensive side with a lot of aggressiveness and hustling around and making smart plays. They're making plays in transition on the fast break, which they haven't done in so many years. Last game, they go for 26 points against the Nuggets in the fast break. That's something the Blazers don't do, but now they're doing it with guys like Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons. I think it can be somewhat sustainable. I think my expectations have changed a little bit where you know I think they may be around the 8 seed, the 7 seed, but... I'm still not going to get over my skis after this 4-0 start, but I will tell you what, they're playing an exciting brand of basketball, and you know it's a very positive feeling in Rip City where I thought you know the first 5-10 games, it was going to be a very negative, dark place, but it's turned out to be very positive and very fun to see. Their, yeah, their preseason performance did not transfer over to the regular season. I don't know if they flipped a switch. I don't know, uh, you know if they just uh, decided that they were going to play hard and, and win some games early. Maybe they're running into some teams that aren't quite as focused as them. Whatever the case may be, take it. If you're a Blazer fan, 
you got to be happy with the start of this season. 4-0 start, looking for number five tonight at home at Moda Center. All right, coming up, we're going to play Punch It Audio. Bill Riley, ESPN Salt Lake City will be with us. Bob Thompson, the retired president, former president of Fox Sports Networks, will be with us in the 4 o'clock hour. So much ahead here in the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. So my kids went to uh, Salt and Straw. You know Salt and Straw? You know oh, yeah. that place? Oh, yeah. Legendary Portland area. It's not homemade ice cream, but it's kind of like uh, retail homemade ice cream if you don't know what it is and you're listening on the podcast or whatnot. But uh, have you been in there lately? Uh, no, I have not been. I think it was maybe yeah. uh, last summer I think I went. Okay. You and I are the same. Okay, so my kids went, and... They brought home, though, one of the uh, small to-go containers that had what appeared to be green mint ice cream in it, mint chocolate chip ice cream. And they uh, dished me out some of that mint chocolate chip ice cream, and they were watching me in a way that raised my spider senses. Like, you know, I was like, why are they all looking at me? And I took a bite of the ice cream, and it turns out it's not mint chocolate chip. It turns out that the it is mint ice cream, but the chocolate chips are actually crickets mm. and mealworms. Mm. It's creepy crawler ice cream made for Halloween, and it's actual crickets and mealworms that are in the ice cream. How is that palatable? Can someone explain to me how that's palatable? Well, you know, it's supposed to be uh, better protein for you, the bugs, I guess. right? I mean, I think, uh, <laughs> what was it, up in the Mariners game they had crickets? I believe they had, and uh, we were up there a few Ugh. years ago. We we tried them. Uh, you know, I was I was down to try it. I'm down to try foods like that. Uh, I, I can't say that it was good, but uh, you know, I would guess I was happy to try it. But yeah, I don't think yeah. I, I would never get it again. Utterly disgusting. I spit it out <laughs> once I realized that I was eating insects. But I also think like, okay, look, I'm not opposed to like eating a termite or a cricket or a mealworm if I'm in the wild or I'm on a reality television show and that's all I'm going to get to eat for the day and you tell me I have to eat that to survive, I will eat that to survive. But given that I'm standing in my kitchen and I'm not even hungry, I'm not choosing crickets and mealworms. Yeah, especially in your ice cream as well. Like I feel like ice cream is a treat. Like I'm not going to go crickets. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll go candy or I'll go something sweet that like is terrible yep. for me. But yeah, crickets, I'm out on that and ice cream. 100%. All right, let's play some uh, Punch It Audio. We got great sound. We do it every day. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Dana Altman. It's uh, Pac-12 Men's Basketball Media Day today in San Francisco. Here's the Ducks coach talking about how last season ended. How motivated and locked in are the Ducks? Punch it. Well, we were disappointed. Uh, we won 20 games, and, and we should have won more. Uh, you know, we, for whatever reason, team chemistry, uh, you know, it, it boiled down to we didn't rebound well enough and we didn't defend well enough. If, if you look at the stats, uh, 
Our offense was okay, but defensively and on the boards, we weren't good enough. And, uh, and, and we should have been. You know, we, we had the guys to do that. So for whatever reason, we didn't get it done. Um, so, you know, I, at the end of the year, I think all coaching staffs evaluate what you did right, what you did wrong. Uh, and, you know, we all looked at ourselves and said we've got to do better. Oregon is picked third in the media poll behind UCLA and Arizona. Uh, I thought it was interesting, too, because, look, let's be real. At the end of the day, last year, at the end of the season, I don't think Dana Altman liked his team. Like, I, I was there. It was it was the Las Vegas Pac-12 tournament. The Ducks lost. They got dismissed. Will Richardson not with the team, not on the same page. And Folly Dante and the guys, like, it just, they had so many injuries, so much disruption. They never got the practice continuity. But I got to the, last year was one of the few times I've ever seen a head coach that looked like he was ready for the season to be over, even though it kind of felt like the season ended prematurely for Oregon. Like yeah. Dana Altman, I don't think he wanted any more. No, I think you're right. And, you know, that's the thing about the Oregon program now under Dana Altman is there's high expectations, right? It's not just to get to the NCAA tournament. It's to get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And that team even last year had a lot of talent, but it just didn't click for some reason. And usually Dana Altman teams, they start playing really well February, March, April. That's when they really peak. And we, you know, I expected it to happen last year. It didn't happen. So, you know, I think you can blame Altman, but I think a lot of it had to do with maybe some of the players and the chemistry. So you might be right that he was as tired of that team. He's ready to get on to the next season. I also think it was interesting that Will Richardson was not selected as the player that they brought to media day today. They brought in Folly Dante with Dana Allman had him with it. Now, Will Richardson not with the team. Not with the team at the end of the year. I I am still trying to figure out what what happened. Nobody ever reported it. Nobody ever dug into it. If I have to roll up my sleeves and do it myself this year, I will. But it was evident with about 10 games to go in the end of last year's season that Will Richardson not on the same page as the Ducks. Kelly Graves on the women's side. Talked about the recruiting in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, Pac-12 women's media day, basketball media day, was yesterday. Punch it. Uh, well, I think it's great. I think it obviously shows that the uh, recruits are really smart because if I was uh, in high school, I would want to play in the Pac-12. Uh, great coaching in this league, a uh, conference that really cares about women's basketball. Um, and, um, you know, and it, it just makes, you know, uh, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? So I think it's important. They want to play against the best, and so that's why they're coming out here. The honest truth is I don't really pay attention to, to recruiting ranks uh, or where teams ranked or anything like that because in the end that doesn't really uh, matter all that much. But it, I think it just goes to show that we have a good product here, and I hope that trend continues. Yeah, I think Oregon's got it cooking. So does Oregon State and Scott Ruick. And I think it's a lot of fun to watch the women in this conference play basketball in a way that, uh, frankly, I think is incredibly inspiring and important. And it makes me really wonder about a WNBA team in Portland someday with Kelly Graves as the coach. i got to be honest with you. Scott Ruick talking yesterday, Women's Basketball Media Day. He's excited. Punch we it. enter this year, you know, with certainly lots of new faces on the roster, but with lots of optimism. Um, I like this group a lot. I like the way that they're coming together. I like the character of the group. I like the talent level of the group. 
And historically, um, I've never minded lots of new faces, having lots of success um, in years where that's been the case. And this group gives me a lot of confidence. Yeah, Stanford picked as the favorite on the women's side. Uh, Stanford getting the number one spot. Oregon is picked second. Oregon State picked sixth. Don't sleep on the Beavers. Scott Ruick always seems to come up big, especially when people aren't picking him uh, to win the conference. But it's going to be a lot of fun this season to see these teams mix it up. I think really when you talk about how many good teams does the Pac-12 have on the women's side, I think I would go as deep as to say there are about six or seven that you could make an argument for being you know, NCAA tournament teams. Stanford, Oregon, Arizona, UCLA, Utah, Oregon State, certainly maybe Washington State as well. Keep an eye on the women in the Pac-12 bracket. Tim McMahon talking about the Trailblazers. They are undefeated. Punch it. Coming into the season, like, Same. hey, you know, my thing was Portland's in purgatory. They're not good enough to, to really be a threat. They're not bad enough to, you know, get a you know, high lottery ammo uh, for a rebuild. You know, they, they've got all this money committed to Dame. They're just kind of stuck in the middle. And I, I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I think they're uh, a team that's a threat to make a playoff run, but they're really damn fun to watch. They're sitting here undefeated. Dame is back to being Dame. When, when you're flipping around league pass late at night and, and Portland's playing, they, they're pretty damn fun to watch. They, uh, they are energetic. They are youthful. Lillard, when he is right, he is right. But let's be, uh, let's be mindful of the small sample size. Look, let's not... Let's not go overboard, but let's enjoy the ride. Like, literally, this is a team that I said, hey, get into the Victor Wembenyama uh, sweepstakes. Why do Dan Patrick and I have a hard time with that name? But get into that sweepstakes and, and uh, you know, forget about winning this season. And here they are sitting 4-0. I'm happy to eat crow, but I'd like to see them, uh, like to see them do a whole bunch more. Uh, let's move on. Jalen Rose talking about the Blazers 4-0. Punch it. This is all about Dame's return. Thank you. Shout out to Jeremy Grant also. But this is literally all about Dame's return and reminding everybody that he's one of the top players in the game. Getting to the line, making his field goals, um, scoring 33 points a game. 33 points a game for Dame Dollar. And the Portland Trail Blazers can always draw on the fact that C.J. McCollum was the most improved player when he played with Dame. But other than that, when they made those playoff runs, it was because it was Dame time. Yep. And he might not have a tattoo that says him on his hand, but he has a watch on his wrist that proves it. And the way he's knocking down shots and the way he's playing with pace. Jalen Rose talking about uh, the Blazers' hot start there. It's true, though. Enjoy it while it goes on. Finally, Ryan Howard talking about Bryce Harper. Harper hit 419 in the postseason, hitting 419 so far. Punch it. I would say so. Yes, I would say so. Um, I mean, there's been an extreme maturation process that he's gone through. Um, you know, obviously coming over from Washington, he, he, he understands he's the man. He understands that. He understands people are going to put the expectations on him. But, you know, and, and what I've kind of seen, it's like that. it doesn't matter because he has his own expectations for himself. And I think that as long as he's living up to his expectations, that's all that matters. And it's, it's carrying this team to, to a championship, and those guys are all playing very unselfish right now. Yeah, when uh, John Middleton 
uh, you know, and, and Bryce Harper thought about, uh, you know, partnering up in Philadelphia, uh, getting the trophy back to Philadelphia, uh, they imagined a moment like this with Harper on the stage hoisting the trophy. trophy. Uh, they're sitting four wins from a world championship, and Harper's been one of baseball's biggest stars for a while, but this is the first time he's been on the big stage. Friday night, game one, World Series, Minute Maid Park, and guess what else? You're also talking about the whole country rooting for the Philadelphia Phillies because guess what? The Houston Astros represent a lot of what we don't like about baseball and the banging on the trash cans and the cheating and the cream and the clear and you know they got their championship I mean I think it's gonna be really easy for people to get behind the Phillies but let's not mistake the price of winning 13 years 330 million dollars that's what Middleton paid Bryce Harper to come to Philadelphia you know they made a bid for Manny Machado and he went to San Diego but then they went after uh, they went after Harper. They outbid the Giants and some others, and they got him. So here they are in the World Series. Pretty big moment for the Phillies. All right, leave it here. Coming up, uh, we'll go to Salt Lake City. Bill Riley, ESPN 700. It's Utah against Washington State. That game will be It's a Thursday night game this week. We'll check in with Bill Riley. We'll talk about Utah football, Washington State. If you're a Pac-12 fan, you're going to want to be here. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. Well, if you want to know what's going on with Utah sports, you need to talk to Bill Riley. He's the guy in Utah. I hope you're following him on Twitter. If you're a Pac 12 fan uh, from ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City, Bill Riley joining us. And uh, you're at the airport, you're currently on your way for this Thursday night football game where Utah will be visiting Washington State. What are you expecting? It's been, a, it's, uh, it's been an emotional 10 or 12 days for, for Utah. How, where's the mindset of this program right now? I think they're in a good spot, John. I was around the team yesterday. I had coaching show last night. I was out of practice watching some things. I, I think they're in a pretty good spot. I, I actually think the bye came at a good time for a health reason. But it also let them come down a little bit off that SC game. That SC game, you were there. It was just emotional. There was so much going on. It was a great football game. It was a game they needed to win. And I think the bye came at a good spot to let them kind of let that win pass, uh, get a little healthier, and then turn their attention to kind of the stretch run of the season, which begins obviously tomorrow night up in Pullman. Yeah, the you know that that emotional win that was that was a big win, and Cam Rising obviously was fantastic. We've heard a lot of talk about the run game of Utah. What does Kyle Whittingham say, mean when he says they've got it figured out? Well, I, I think he's figured out that they don't necessarily have a stud this year. Tavion Thomas has been off. He hasn't been the guy he was a year ago. They're getting it done on the ground. They're just doing it a different way. It's kind of a, a run-by-committee team, but I think Kyle – has kind of bought into the fact that he's got a really good quarterback who can throw it all over the park to a tight end, a couple of receivers, backs out of the backfield. And, and maybe they're not going to have a guy that runs for 150 yards a game. They may get 150, 175 yards on the, game, on the ground in the game, but it's going to come from the quarterback and some running backs. But I think he knows they can throw it and throw it well. You saw it firsthand. Cam threw for 415 yards against a really good SC secondary, and 
So I, I think he's figured out that they're going to do it by committee this year, and they can really throw the football. Yeah, the uh, Washington State team, you know, the beginning of the year I had high hopes for them. They haven't played well recently, losing at Oregon State pretty badly. You know, how, how dicey is this game, Bill, for, for Utah right now? Well, I, I think if they come out and do what they should do, John, I think they're the better team here. But, you know, Thursday night games are weird. Coming off buys are sometimes a little weird, though Kyle Whittingham teams are always good off buys. And Pullman is just a different place to play because you don't stay in Pullman. You know, it's not like staying in Salt Lake City or staying in Eugene or staying in Corvallis. You stay 35 or 40 miles away in Lewiston. That's where they're staying. Then you bust up for the game, and it's a Thursday night, and it's going to be chilly, and you don't know about the crowd because the crowd at Pullman comes from campus but comes from Portland and Spokane, so you wonder how many people show up. So, And, it's, and then you've been sitting around the hotel all day long on a Thursday. There's no football on, so they're going to be watching – you know, they're going to be watching The View and Jerry Springer and everything else during the day. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like they're in a good spot. But Thursday night games are on, and Thursday night games in Pullman can really be on sometimes. Yeah, the weather there, of course, uh, won't, be, uh, won't be pleasant and mild. Of course, it's going to be at least chilly. But Bill Riley, ESPN 700, is with us. The Pac-12 championship game is way in the horizon, but... You know, how much did the win over USC sort of change the narrative for this season for Utah? And, you know, and what do you think Utah has to do to get to Vegas? I think they have to win out. I mean, I think they have to win the rest of their games, including that tough game November 19th at Austin. And so I I think, I don't think a two, I just don't think a two win team is going to get there. I think Oregon's probably, they've got, you know, some games. They've got Washington, Utah, and then the Civil War game. Really, USC and UCLA have each other. And they're going to, one of those teams is going to be eliminated on November the 19th, I think, when they play each other at the Rose Bowl. But I think if Utah wants to, wants to defend its title in Las Vegas, they're going to have to win out. And uh, so that's kind of where I think they are right now. You know, Oregon's got a little wiggle room because they're undefeated. But they've got three tough games, though two of those three games are at home. So I think the, you know, the, the two L.A. schools, one of those teams will be eliminated by process of elimination on the 19th of November. Oregon's got some wiggle room. Utah's got to win out. I think that's how it plays. Tavion Thomas, we all sort of expected him last year to be the back this year and hasn't gone that way. Any insight into what is going on with Tavion Thomas? Well, you know, I, I, I think, you know, he didn't maybe wasn't as focused in the offseason as he needed to be, but he's also dealt with some personal stuff this year too, John. He, you know, he had an aunt who helped raise him die. Um, about a month ago, and I think that's really impacted him. And I don't know that he's been able to get right since then. I think Utah has high hopes that, you know, for the stretch run, these final five games, he can get right and, and be something close to what he was a year ago. But it's just been kind of an off season for him. Now, with that being said, Mackay Bernard's still a really good back. They like to Quinton Jackson coming in as a quarterback turned running back, and then you saw Cam Rising's ability to use his legs. But yeah, Tavion just it, it's been one of those off years and you know, a death in the family impacts a lot of people different ways and I think it's been really hard on him. As you look at the potential trip points for Utah, is is this Thursday night game one of those pitfalls that that Utah needs to focus on or and what are the other games? Well, I, I think it's this game and the Oregon game. I think those are the two biggies. They're home with Arizona and certainly Arizona's improved. But I'm not sure they're quite there yet. And Stanford's having an offseason. That one's at Rice Eccles. And then they, they wrap up the season in Boulder with Colorado. And that's, that's been a, 
have been a bit of been a bit of a disaster this year. So I think tomorrow night's game is huge because you've got to take care of business coming off the bye. I feel like they're in a good spot. And then to me, you know, the Pac-12 season in general kind of boils down to November 19th, the game at the Rose Bowl and the game at Austin Stadium. So they've got to be good tomorrow night, but they're going to have to be really good at Austin Stadium. Yeah, a tough place to play. Home field worth a lot in this conference. Bill Riley with us, ESPN 700. Uh, a lot of talk about media rights and, you know, kind of the uncertainty and, uh, you know, it's been months and months of this, Bill, and, you, you know, you're there on the footprint of one of the Four Corners universities. It feels like things have quieted down. Do you feel like Utah is committed to the Pac-12, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State? What's the f- there? Uh, all my conversations with Mark Harlan, and you know Mark pretty well, too. He's a pretty honest and transparent guy. He, you know, he says we're all in to try and keep the Pac-12 in whatever shape or form it takes together. Now, I, again, my, my, my thought is it really depends on what George Klyovkov brings back to the Pac-12 CEOs. I think it's got to be a, a close to competitive offer, John. I don't think it can be, you know, double-digit million dollars below what a Big 12 offer could potentially be. I think it has to be in the same area code, same ballpark. And if it is, I, I think that will keep people happy enough. I do. But I, I think it really all depends on what the commissioner brings back to the Pac-12 CEOs, whether that's in a couple, like you wrote today, whether that's in a couple of weeks or in a month or in a couple of months. I get the sense it will be in a few weeks to maybe a month at the outside. And then, then he's got to present that package, and it's got to, it's got to appease those schools. I don't know what the Big 12's really got to offer right now. I really don't. I know they talk a lot. Brett Yormark likes to talk but I'm not sure where they are in their negotiations and how much better they're going to be. So I think if George Klyovkov can bring back a really good competitive offer, I think I think the four corner schools and everybody probably wants to stay together. Is that the sense you get up in Oregon too? Yeah, and I think, I think you're right. Uh, I mean, all things being equal or close to equal, there's no point in uprooting if unless it's a no-brainer deal. Like we all kind of understand UCLA and USC, why they would be interested in the Big Ten. I also thought he said something interesting today because, and, and I don't think he intended to say it, but he, he made a comment about closing the gap. And he said he almost talked about it in like two steps. And I kind of wonder if the mission here for the Pac 12 is going to be to sign a shorter deal and potentially leave the door open to go back to the table and eat again before the Big Ten and before the SEC get a chance to negotiate again. And I kind of wondered if that strategy allowed the Pac-12, because we, you know, even a year from now, two years from now, the media rights numbers are going to be uh, far greater than they are right now, and we've just seen an escalation in a, in a way that has been remarkable. So maybe their, their strategy is going to be, look, let's, let's sign a four-year deal or a five-year deal. We go to the table twice before they get to eat again. And, and then if they, if they go with Amazon, as a potential partner, it seems to, that there is more money there. That you're gonna you're gonna take more money. You're gonna give up some distribution. But Pac-12 fans, I think, are used to the distribution issues, and they'd be happy to go to Amazon to see the Pac-12 network. All the people I've talked to, John, all the people in Utah, have told me that streaming is the way to go. So many people are cutting the cord anyway. That are subscribing to YouTube TV and the streaming services. This market doesn't care where it is. They just want to be able to access it. And if it costs them an extra eight ninety nine a year to watch Utah football and basketball and some other things, they'll, they'll certainly do it. But I think you're on to something. In my conversations with people in administration in Utah, they, they've all kind of hinted at the fact that four- or five-year deal at the very most. And if you do that, that brings you back to the table because, if I'm not mistaken, the SEC is a 10-year deal and the Big Ten is a seven-year deal, right? 
Yes. So I, I, I kind of expect it's going to be something along the lines of five years, go to the table twice, because he said, he made this comment about, you know, we're going to take, we're going to close the gap this time and then we're going to catch up. He made it sound like there was a second step. And I thought, oh, did he just tip off that they're going to have a shorter term deal? Bill Riley with us, ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City. Hey, Bill, I know you're traveling. Before I cut you loose, how confident are you? Thursday night, uh, you know, Utah, about a seven point to a seven and a half point favorite in Pullman. How are you feeling about that game, that matchup, and, and kind of that spread that's out there? They're healthy, John. They got a little swagger back after that USC win, and they were able to kind of recenter themselves after the after the bye week. I, I feel good about it. I don't think it's a blowout. I think it's a competitive game because I think Wazoo defensively is good. Um, they've just not clicked really with Cam Ward yet offensively. So I, I, I feel confident Utah wins. The spread seven, seven and a half. I don't know. Um, but I, I feel good about Utah being able to go into Pullman and get a win tomorrow night. Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, John. There it is, Bill Riley, ESPN 700. We'll talk to Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports president. I'll float that idea to him. Is it possible the Pac-12 is going to try to eat twice before the Big Ten gets back to the dinner table? Bob Thompson coming up top of the hour. Later in the program, uh, we'll talk about the best-case scenario for the Pac-12 when it comes to the conference championship game. You got the bald face truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. How late is too late in the day to have coffee? Can we answer that question? How late is it too late in the day to have coffee as I sip coffee? Uh, when the uh, music plays. I had all commercial break to drink that coffee, and I waited until the music played. How late is too late in the day, Stephen? Um, I don't think that there is too late, to be honest. I really don't. Don't you, don't you worry about having it so late that it keeps you up? I don't. I, I, you know, I, I'm not affected very much by caffeine and stuff. I drink it, but I could have, like, an energy drink, and I could fall asleep within five minutes. <laughs> Maybe maybe that's on that. me. That's on me, but uh I love that. Who else problem. we got? Who else is over there today? We got uh Peter Sampson over Peter here. Peter Peter Sampson, did you forget what day it was? I did. I did. I uh, Not only that, John, I forgot I was uh, getting to be part of the show today and was supposed mm. to come in. So I rolled in at, you know, 845, was uh, yeah. about three hours early, gave my bottom of the hour update and made sure that everyone knew that we had Thursday night football tonight on the air. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm just all out of sorts, man. I love that. I saw your tweet about it. How late is, uh, how late is too late for coffee? You know, the older I, I used to be like Steven, but the older I get, the more sensitive I am. And I have, a, I made myself a latte that I'm sipping right now, but it's decaf. I can't really go after probably 1 or 2 p.m., but you know me, John. I got to get a lot of sleep, so I can't mess with that. Yeah, I d- and I t- I'm only sipping it because I'm not a tea person, and people mm. may tell, like, I, I'm a mildly congested today, and so I uh, I am trying to power through the show, and I just thought, you know what? I need a little, I need a little pick-me-up, a little caffeine, and I looked up, and I'm like, it's damn near 4 o'clock, and I'm drinking coffee. So here I am. I don't know if I'm going to be up at 4 o'clock in the morning going, you know, I shouldn't have had that coffee, but that's the position I'm in. Uh, Let's talk a little bit between the three of us about what Bill Riley, ESPN 700, had to say. He, like, teams can't do this, but he's looking ahead to November 19th. Utah at Autzen Stadium. They got a game Thursday night. Uh, I, I feel like Utah's not good enough to look past anybody, especially a road game in Pullman. 
And I, I kind of think this is going to be the closest, most compelling game of the weekend. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, especially after their performance against UCLA. Like, how can you have confidence that Utah's going to go on the road and perform really well, right? Especially in Pullman, where that crowd and that atmosphere is going to be a lot more crazy than it was at UCLA. So I'm with you. I don't have necessarily the confidence um, that Utah would have. You know, they think they have. You know, th- that they have to win out to get the Pac-12 telling This should be an interesting game. Um, yeah, and it's just to be able to just say, you know, we're going to go into Pullman on a Thursday night and it's going to be easy. I just don't think mm. that's possible. No easy ones on the road in this conference. Peter, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree completely. And look, I know that Washington State's lost a couple in a row, but those are, I mean, that's to a USC team uh, that was rolling. Oregon State, look, the offense kind of struggled in both those games. But I mean, look, crazy things happen in Pullman. And frankly, I mean, Utah's still a good team. It's maybe not what we thought it was going to be. Crazy things happen in Pullman. Utah's going there, especially at the wrong time. And I think you're right. You cannot look ahead. Man, every year in the Pac-12, some team, I swear, gets caught doing that. They start feeling themselves. And, all you know, it's Oregon down in the desert. It's Utah up at Pullman. you got to be aware of that. I think you have to be careful in this conference. Again, the home teams are dangerous. I'm big on trends and data when it comes to kind of looking at these games. It's served me well. I have uh, I have uh, had some success in the last few weeks just uh, remembering that the trend is your friend. Last week against the spread, I went three and one. I'm now 32 and 26 against the spread. I'm starting to get dangerously close to quitting this job and moving to Vegas. Uh, but check this out: Washington State one and zero this year against the spread as a home dog. Utah one and two against the spread as a road favorite. That, if the trend is your friend, you take the Utes to win, but Washington State and seven and a half seems to be the play. That's kind of where I'm leaning. Yeah, I mean, that one uh, road dog was against Oregon, right? They covered yep. that game. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think right now if I had to make the pick, I'd be leaning towards Washington State as well to get a full touchdown. And it's like we've all just been talking about. You know, I was higher on Utah, I think, than probably anyone else on yeah. the show. Yep. Uh, but that UCLA game really took me back, man. They, they looked just a little off. And to have that game on the road in Washington State, man, I can't trust Utah to win by more than a touchdown there. So, yeah, I think I'd be leaning Cougars. The, the only thing that gives me pause is, you know, Bill Riley said in that last segment, he said that Utah's healthy and Washington State's not healthy. And Washington State went to Research Stadium and, and looked dismal against Oregon State. But now they've had 10 days off, 10 or 12 days off. They, uh, you know, have seemingly bounced back from that. They play the Thursday game, and they're at home. And so I'm really having a hard time. I'm having a hard time in general with the picks this week. I think I think this week is going to be the most challenging week ever. We'll give our official picks on tomorrow's show, but this is the only game without a double-digit favorite. Everybody else this week, it's bad teams against good teams. It's not great games for the Pac-12 this week. And so, uh, and I know, like, people are always, uh, you know, bellyaching about the Pac-12 network. This week, the Pac-12 Network took USC-Arizona because uh, nobody else wanted that game. And so it was was an interesting week to see the other networks go, okay, we don't want the Arizona game. I actually think that's the second most compelling game because I think Arizona's going to score a whole bunch of points against USC. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. You know, Arizona has proven to have a good offense. Now, I think the other way around, USC is definitely not going to have a struggle to score against Arizona. So that game could be uh, full of fireworks as well. But, yeah, I think this uh, this game tomorrow with Utah-Washington State, by far the most compelling game this, this week. And I think it's just because knowing that Washington State, you know, even though they aren't healthy, 
you know, I, I kind of put Washington State and Oregon State in the same basket where when they're at home, they can take out anybody. But when they're on the road, I think they struggle a little bit. So, you know, to think that Washington State couldn't keep this game close and maybe even pull off a win, I think is pretty crazy. All right. Coming up, uh, we'll talk to Bob Thompson, the retired president of Fox Sports Networks. He's going to he's going to give us media rights for dummies at four o'clock. That's essentially what it's going to be called. It's media rights for dummies. He's going to educate us all. There's some public service in what he's going to do. Uh, And you know what? If you have a question for Bob Thompson, uh, I would invite you uh, to start lining up right now at 503-417-7575 because I'm going to tweet it out, and I can guarantee you from across the Pac-12 footprint we're going to get phone calls. So if you have a question for the retired president of the Fox Sports Networks, I want you, because you're a listener, to have the inside track on that. If you have a question on the media rights front, why is in Oregon here? Why is the valuation of that? If you have a question uh, for Bob Thompson, you can line up. But he's going to do media rights for dummies, and I'm going to ask him a whole bunch of questions because I'm a dummy when it comes to media rights. Before we do that, though, the big splash. It's the one thing you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, the Bears have made a trade. Robert Quinn, the defensive end, has been traded to the Eagles. We're at that time of the year where some of the teams in the NFL that may be thinking more about their future than their present start to unload contract. Quinn had been with the Bears since April of 2020. He signed a five-year, $70 million free agent deal then. Uh, The Bears will absorb the bulk of his salary for this season, but this is the third time Quinn's been traded in his 12-year career. Second time in the NFC East. He was sent from the Rams to the Dolphins, then to the Cowboys, then signed with the Bears, now to the Eagles. Uh, But, uh, you know, you're talking about a pass rusher, a veteran pass rusher going to a team that thinks it has a chance. That's the big splash. I want you to leave it locked in as Bob Thompson's coming up. Media rights for dummies. The retired president of Fox Sports Networks will be with us. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, our next guest has been an incredibly valuable resource for me and for a whole bunch of other people. I literally think that we could have done a whole series, Media Rights for Dummies, and I would have been at the front of the line. I'm the biggest dummy in the land, but I know who to ask. And Bob Thompson, who is familiar with the Pac-12 footprint, University of Oregon graduate, guy who lives in the Pac-12 footprint down in the Phoenix area, who worked in the media rights world, former uh, retired president of Fox Sports Networks, did, uh, I think he did hundreds of deals. I don't think he did thousands of deals. Uh, He has launched a Twitter career, if you can call Twitter a career. You can find him on Twitter, at RLT Sports. He's going to do media rights for dummies. And he may even allow some of us to, you know, some listener questions uh, if, uh, if you've got a question for Bob Thompson because I'm going to pepper him 
And I think, you know, I don't always think of what matters to the listening audience. Bob Thompson joining us now. Thank you, Bob, for doing this. My pleasure, John. Always good to be here. Yeah. Do you mind if I put this out? Because I do think there are people listening across the footprint that might have a question that doesn't occur to me. Do you mind if we take a couple questions from listeners as well? No, not at all. All right. So 503-417-7575 is the phone number. If you have a question for Bob Thompson... Uh, you can line up now if you want to ask uh, if something occurs to you. I'll give the number throughout the interview. But, Bob, let's start with just by kind of talking about uh, the landscape of college athletics and, and your background. Like, you know, how many deals have you done? What is your experience with, you know, as the retired president of Fox Sports Networks? You know, how familiar are you with these media rights deals? Uh, pretty familiar. I probably did a couple hundred over 20 years, more or less. A lot of uh, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball local deals, uh, probably four Pac-12 deals, three Big 12 deals. was one of the founders of the Big 12, uh, excuse me, Big 10 network. It's an ACC basketball deal, so we've done quite a few. When, when you look at these uh, deals, you know, we're kind of in the, you know, in the 11th hour phase, so to speak, is... You know, both the Big 12 and Pac-12 are sort of posturing like they're down to like three to four weeks before these deals come up, Bob. What happens in the that final three or four weeks? A lot of going back and forth. I think, uh, you know, you're kind of down to the final strokes on, you know, usually the few major items are, you know, term, scope of the rights, uh, the dollars on a yearly basis, what the escalators might be year to year. And, you know, is there a signing bonus or things like that? What are the back-end rights? Rights of first refusal, rights to match, things along those lines. You're probably kind of putting the putting the final touches on those right now. And then always with collegiate, especially if you have multiple groups involved, is the uh, picking selection. What's the order of the picks to determine who picks what game first uh, in any given week or in advance? How does that work with picking selection and, and maybe some of the deals you've done when it involves, let's just use Fox and ESPN and the Pac-12 networks as an example. Um, is, you know, is the, uh, is it an alternate thing like you alternate every week or can one of the entities maybe pay more or bid more to have that first right of refusal or how does that typically work? Um, I've seen it work all sorts of different ways. I mean, I know for instance, the big 10 Fox pays, a bit more, quite a bit more to have first pick on uh, most weeks there, and then also first picks uh, in advanced games, special day games, things like that. And that that allows them to pretty much always end up with Ohio State, Michigan, and the Pac-12. It's usually been a, an alternating pick type thing once the rights became split between ESPN and Fox, and um, one will have a first pick one week, one will have first pick the next week. There's a number of games picked in advance. The uh, special date games, uh, rivalry games, Thursday night games, day after Thanksgiving games, maybe a Labor Day game, things like that. And then there's the infamous 6- and 12-day picks where in most weeks you're picking 12 days out so that the schools and the fans know, you know what time the game will be and what channel it will be on uh, 12 days out. But as the season gets further in, and I think I believe I saw a number of six-day picks for the week of November 5th were exercised this week. 
the networks like to wait and see what happens the previous weekend before they pick for the next weekend. And that's what's commonly called a six-day pick. So there'll be a number of games that are picked on uh, for 12 days on that week. Those games are probably going to be on Pac-12 networks. And then all the other games will be picked six days out, basically Sunday uh, after this Saturday's games and the results are in. And that'll determine, you know, what network's carrying what on which of their channels and what time the games will come off. We're talking to Bob Thompson, the retired president, Fox Sports Networks. Uh, George Klyovkov, Pac-12 commissioner, said today that he thought his conference would close the gap with the Big Ten and some others in this round of media rights. But then he, said, he went on to say something about taking another step. I want to play his clip. And I want to get your thoughts on maybe what he might be talking about. Here's Klyovkov. Yeah, I, I think it's a couple of things. I, I think first, um, we're, we're going to do a meteorite deal here in the near future, which will close the gap between us and, and the Big Ten and the SEC. Uh, that's the first step. Eventually, we'll catch those guys. It'll take a couple of steps, but, but we're going to take a step towards closing that gap. Uh, and then we're going to be looking at an expansion. We're going to be looking at schools that make sense for us. It was that middle part where he says, you know, we'll, we'll eventually catch them but it's going to take a couple steps. It made me sort of wonder, is is the plan here for the Pac-12 to possibly go to market twice before the Big Ten can get back to market? Bob, what do you make of that? I don't see that happening. I, I You know, if I'm the buyer, I'm not going to do something as short as, you know, two or three years that gives them a chance to go again before the Big, 12, or the Big Ten goes again in 2030. I think what he's probably talking about is they're going to do a five-year deal and it's going to come up in 29. So they'll, you know, they'll make a step towards the big 10, you know, in the next few weeks, hopefully. And then they'll make another step towards the big 10 in 2029. So they'll probably come in. I'd expect both them and the big 12 probably to, to structure their deals um, to come in and be negotiating a step ahead of the, big 10 in 2029 you know they both of them are coming off 12 and 13 year deals they're really you know and i think at the time they thought it was a great idea and the networks were fine they they you know the the conference has got to announce big numbers in terms of you know billions of dollars the deals were worth and the networks had certainty for 12 and 13 years so it worked it worked great but you know a lot changed in those 12 and 13 years and i think everybody's probably learned a lesson not only the, the conferences, but the networks as well. So I think you're going to see shorter deals. But I would really be surprised if he gets, you know, besides this uh, renegotiation or renewal, that he gets two more. I think he'll get one more by going a year earlier than the Big the Big Ten. So are we talking like maybe five-year deals, and then I think the Big Ten's a seven-year deal? Is that right? Yeah, it'd be a, I think they'd be a year off if he did a five-year deal. I don't have my map. I don't have my calendar yeah. with me here, but I think it'd be a year off if he did five. It, it seems to me that, you know, in typically help me out, like in a typical deal, it, what's the escalator one year to the next? Um, well, once you're in the deal, it's, you know, three to 4%. Sometimes they have CPI. I got to think with the CPI running so hot right now, everybody's probably not going on CPI. That's probably a set percentage, three to 4%. Sometimes mid mid term on a ten or twelve year deal, there might be a bigger kicker, say six or seven percent, just to you know for offset the the period of time that has passed. 
But on a five-year deal, I would uh, expect it to be three to four percent. Yeah, and, and the the idea being, do you think the networks would be okay doing five years? Like, is is that speaking their language as well? Is that kind of the happy medium now? Well, I, you know, longer is always better for them. <laughs> it's, you know, that's why the NFL deals are ten years, and and these are twelve and thirteen-year deals. And if the schools or the conferences want, you know, huge huge dollar commitments, the one of the trade-offs is, is length. And so, you know, I can see why the conferences would be a little hesitant. And, you know, the broadcast networks and the cable networks, given what's going on in their business uh, with the, you know, the, um, the cords being cut and people leaving the bundle and going to other options, you know, there, there might be a little hesitancy on their part to go, you know, real long-term. But um, I, don't, I don't think five years would scare them away, though. We're talking to Bob Thompson, uh, former Fox Sports Network's president. Um, as I look at kind of what the Pac-12 is posturing like they're going to do, you know, George Klyovkov said today that there will be a streaming service involved, whether it's uh, an existing streaming service that's part of a linear network or if it's a new partner. Uh, what's the right balance in your mind when it comes to, uh, you know, the ESPN, uh, the glow of ESPN? And maybe or Fox, and then uh, maybe a, a new streaming service like Amazon. Well, I would think you'd, you'd want your tier one games and your first picks to be distributed as widely as possible. So that would, you know, to me, would be ESPN or ABC. <clears throat> Assuming, uh, which I still assume that Fox is not going to be in on the big Pac-12, uh, although I could be wrong. Uh, and then I would say the next level would be kind of the Amazon. Um, you know, the other, he's, he's talking about another potential streamer, you know, it could be ESPN plus. So it could be a package of, uh, PAC 12, uh, uh, ESPN, ESPN plus and Amazon. And that's two streamers and a linear net, li, li, linear cable network and a linear broadcast network. And so I'd go first pick, like I said, with ESPN, ABC, and then, you know, beyond that, um, go with the others. Although I would probably give Amazon some, some good selections on, you know, Thursday night games, uh, Friday night games, you know, special date games, things like that, that, that they could take advantage of. 503-417-7575. If you've got a question for Bob Thompson, he's agreed to take a couple. I have uh, a ton of questions, Bob, I'm going to ask you here, um, you know, ESPN and Amazon may be the likely bidders on the PAC 12, Hearing a little bit of murmur about another bidder, not sure if maybe that's just the Pac-12 trying to create some leverage, or if maybe there is a surprise bidder out there. Uh, where does your mind go when I say ESPN, Amazon, maybe someone else? You know, I haven't heard of anything, but I've, I've been kind of out of touch for a few weeks, so I haven't had my ear to the ground <clears throat> quite a bit. But yeah, I guess Turner's always a possibility, although... You know, they're going through quite a merger there between Warner Brothers and Discovery and, you know, looking at cutting a couple billion dollars worth of, you know, overhead and a lot of upheaval going on right now. And and the NBA and the NHL are very important to them. They don't have a lot of history with uh, college basketball. I mean, college football, we used to sub-license them some games, uh, Big 12 and, and Pac-10, <clears throat> Pac-12, excuse me, a number of years ago. But they haven't been in the, in the business for a while. I suppose that's a possibility. It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me 
uh, for them to just have their, you know, feet in the water with just the Pac-12. So I, I don't know. It could, you know, who knows it, who it might be. But I, I'm still sticking with ESPN and Amazon for the bulk of the product. And, you know, also they got to kind of come to grips with what they're going to ultimately do with the Pac-12 networks. Yeah, yeah. it feels like the Pac-12 network's likely bound for a streaming service in you know, while there may be some distribution issues, uh, as you know, Pac-12 fans are used to that when it comes to the Pac-12 networks. I'm currently watching the Pac-12 networks these days in our household using Sling. It's not ideal. It's uh, it's costing me money. Uh, I saw your tweet recently kind of about rights. Uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, subscriptions raising, like the price of Apple going up uh, and others. Where do you think that's going to end up for most of us? Well, I think there's going to be a couple things. Number one, I think there's going to be um, certainly some some price increases. Uh, saw Apple's going up. Disney's announced an increase for ESPN Plus. I think there's going to be an increase probably in the ESPN Hulu uh, Disney bundle. Um, it, you know, the, Disney lost a billion dollars on streaming last quarter. You can't you can't sustain that. So I think what there'll probably be is some sort of um, consolidation amongst the streamers, probably some some bundling, all of what Disney is doing with ESPN Plus and Hulu and and Disney Plus, and you know maybe some others on top of that. And you know the, the flip side of that though is because these prices continue to rise, and they have to continue to rise. Um, you know Apple going up, that's going up fifty percent basically, and. Um, you know, if the cable operator raised their price 50%, it'd be all over the front page of the local newspaper. But, you know, going from four to six isn't a huge deal, but it is 50%. So I think that these prices are going to continue to rise, and people are going to get to the point where, at some point, their cable bill, <clears throat> excuse me, is going to be darn near what their streaming bill is. And, yep. you know, there, there could be a reverse... Um, action to all the, the streaming services as they continue to increase uh, that just, you know, I, I think they do have a convenience level over linear networks, but um, it's not huge if you know how to run your DVR. And I think that, uh, you know, that the cable bundle is, is not dead yet, but uh, uh, there's, there's maybe some, some opportunities for it going down the road as these streaming services kind of figure out how to rationalize their businesses. A question coming in from Twitter, Bob, um, and Twitter's dangerous, but uh, the idea yes, that the, the idea that the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve can't coexist in this ecosystem. Um, the question is, you know, does one of these things have to win over the other, or can they both? Can they coexist? Is there enough dollars out there? Are there enough? Are there enough households out there to to make both of these conferences winners in this round? Absolutely. I mean, I, I've maintained all along that I think it's, it's good for the game if both conferences uh, thrive and survive. Um, I've stated all along that I think the Big 12 is going to do slightly better on a per-school basis uh, in this round of, of negotiations. Uh, they've got rabid fan base. They fill their stadiums. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a way of life down there in the, in the southwest and, and the, the middle part of the country with those schools. And I think it's good for the game to have those conferences be relevant. And it's good for the expanded CFP playoffs to have representatives for those conferences to be uh, 
important, and and it, it's it's good for both of them to maintain separate and strong identities. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the next round of of, the, of uh, renegotiations. Is there going to be more realignment? It's probably a possibility. But I think for this next round and to see how this all plays out with the new CFP uh, proposals and expansion, I think it makes entire sense for both of them to, you know, kind of maintain uh, their their existence uh, separately. Uh, I'd love to see them play each other more often. Uh, I'm sure the TV networks would as well because it's, you know, they're good games. And so, you know, I think it's important for them both to con- continue, and, and I think that's what's going to happen. Another question coming from social media asking, uh, with Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner, saying he wants to go into the fourth window, meaning he wants to come into the Pacific time zone. How does that affect uh, the value of the Pac-12's media rights? Uh, well, I think, you know, you can go in there now if he plays uh, BYU at 8 Mountain. So he, he's, he's already in there. If he wants to, to go in more consistently, and BYU I'm sure is not going to want to play all their games at night, especially when he, all their home games at night, especially once it starts getting a little colder up there. Um, yeah, he's going to have to find another school. And, you know, whether that's, you know, any of the likely possibilities um, on the West Coast, I think I could see why he would, would want that. I don't know that that significantly is going to diminish the Pac-12's value in that window, though. I mean, there's there's very few windows uh, in football that don't have some sort of competition. And certainly everyone has played up the value of the Pac-12's uh, late window and their ability to, to fill that window. But I don't think having another game in there is going to diminish it significantly the total value of the rights. you got to remember, most of the times on Saturdays, there's, you know, four or five games going on in all three of the windows, you know, the three of the main windows, the, the noon, the 3.30, and, the, and the, the late window, you know, and then maybe one or two games going on at the 10.30 window. So, you know, there's, there's always competition, and it's been that way for years since, uh, you know, the, the floodgates were open on college football telecasts. So I, you know, I don't, I don't look at it that it's a significant hindrance to the Pac-12. And I, I can see how it would be a benefit to the, to the Big 12, though. All right, Bob, uh, before I cut you loose, final question here. Uh, it really relates to something that's been talked about really in the last week or so with the NFL possibly looking at some Saturday games, college football. Would they be well-served to move the season earlier to avoid kind of some matchups with the NFL and – you know, the competition that is going to come from the NFL, how might that complicate things for college football uh, down the road? Well, it's uh, pretty clear to me that the NFL's not going to back down. You know, they're going to play whenever they want to play, and that's just how it is. And then you have to decide whether you want to schedule around them or go up against them. And I think that's what's going on right now with the, you know, the looking at this, the CFP expansion for 20 uh for 24 and 25 you know how that would work i do think it makes sense to make zero week week one and i know that requires moving a lot of things around and your your uh rivalry games are going to be thanksgiving weekend possibly that creates some problems finals problems there's a lot of different problems but i think they really need to take a look at it so that they can potentially 
get out of some of the NFL windows, and, and especially when it gets down to the, the potential playoff structure, uh, because it's going to be hard not to play up against some NFL playoff games if you don't move everything back at least a week. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to watch kind of the convergence of all this stuff. And, you know, you're, you're, you're not out of the game. I know you're doing some consulting and stuff, but, you know, is this entertaining to you to watch this? Because I cannot remember in my time in like 25 to 30 years of covering sports, I cannot remember media rights being this public. Like, you know, we, knew, we used to not know what was going on until the deal was announced, and we kind of looked at it, and then we all moved on. But it feels like now, like, the casual fan is tuned into it. Yeah, I think they are, and I think it's a couple of reasons. I think, number one, it's because a lot of it's related to the realignment and the new deals, uh, the Big Ten deal, and, and it's what's related a lot of that, the big increase to USC and UCLA coming in. And so now with these two deals coming up and potential movement and you know people saying that uh, they'd like to look elsewhere and things along those lines, I think it's become good sport. You know, I, I really thought once the game started, it would kind of die down, but wrong again, Bob. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, the other thing is, you know, none of this has really happened. These deals are 12, 12 and 13 years old, so there really hasn't been anything to talk about. I mean, the last time expansion or realignment went down was kind of 2012, 2010, 11, whatever it was, and, yeah, nobody, nobody was – no one's public about it. You know, in my office, I was doing a deal with the conference. Maybe three people knew about it, four people, until we announced it. And same way at the conferences. There was very few people involved. And, and you know, it, I don't really get the impression that, that the fans were really even interested or involved until you announced it. And then, of course, you know, everybody was a bunch of idiots who did the deals. But, you know, you're used to that. You know, I don't, I'm used to that. That doesn't bother me at all. But, um there, there seems to be def- definitely a genuine interest, and I, you know, I get it. You know, it's kind of a, a kind of a um, cool thing to talk about and, and speculate on, and everybody can have an opinion on it. And that's one of the great things I, I do like about this whole, you know, Twitter thing. I, you know, I not figured out a way to make any money doing this, but it's a lot <laughs> of fun to engage with people. And uh, yeah, I've got a few jobs out of it, but which has been interesting, but. Uh, and it's nice for me in that I'm not really involved in any of these, these deals. And so yeah. I, I can say what I want and I can say what I think. And, you know, people have to understand everything I'm saying is, is strictly a, a, a thought or a belief that I have. And it's, I'm not mining people significantly for information. I don't pull myself off as some sort of, you know, uh, journalistic uh, individual like, you know, like yourself who, get sources and things like that. I, I'm just basically, you know, spouting off what I think and what I believe. And whether people want to listen to me or not, I, you know, I don't really care one way or the other. But I, I think I can provide <laughs> a little bit of a service to, to some people who, who are, you know, are thoughtful about it and, and don't want to just go off on me just because I have an opinion. Bob Thompson, the retired president of Fox Sports Networks. Thank you. It's a public service what you're doing. Appreciate you. My pleasure. Good right. to talk to you, John. All right, you too. Take care. There he is. Good stuff. We will uh, we'll podcast that interview, and we will disseminate it so all the Big 12 nuts can, can listen to it as well. But, uh, I, you know, look, I hate that the Big 12 and the Pac-12 fans, media, 
that everybody's kind of carving out all the territory and the turf. Like, I don't like some of the talking points and some of the messaging coming out of Big 12 country because it does feel like there that you have, like, you know, two entities that are fighting over scraps trying to survive when the mission should be, hey, these two entities need to close the gap and get the Big Ten and get the SEC within view of the front windshield. Like, that's what's good for college football in the end. Like, everybody... Uh, you know, surviving and thriving and trying to close the gap and make what will become an expanded playoff a competitive uh, entity. All right, coming up, uh, Brock Heward gave an interview with uh, John Wilner and myself in which he talked about uh, the Bo Nicks and the Ducks, and he evaluated the quarterbacks in the conference. I'll play some of that for you, and we'll kick it around coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. If you subscribe to me at johnconzano.com, you got my column delivered direct to your email inbox. Uh, you get it right away in real time. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. johnconzano.com is where you find me. You guys had uh, Maddox on yesterday's show. Maddox Oliver was on yesterday's show. He was one of the kids that Dan Lanning bought gas for after Oregon's win over UCLA. If you didn't catch yesterday's show... Uh, grab that interview on the podcast and listen to it. It was charming. The kid runs cross country. Uh, what, how did that interview go in your mind, Stephen? Yeah, it went pretty well. You know, I thought he was uh, pretty composed for being just a high school student, like, you know, being on the radio. He was very, uh, very confident in himself getting ready for uh, cross country, getting ready yep. for districts and stuff. So I thought it was, you know, I, I was talking to Sean about it and we kind of, Said you know, it was a cute little interview, right? Like it sounded like it was just so genuine. It was such a good yep. thing of Coach Dan Lanning to go out and reach out and talk to those guys. So I, I thought it was good all around. Dan Lanning was mildly uncomfortable with me asking about it, but I told him too bad. I said it's such a good story. I think people need to hear this. And you know, he cooperated to a certain extent. But uh, Maddox's father Ryan was really helpful. He had the photo he had posted on Facebook, and I tracked him down. And then we got in touch with Maddox. Uh, I have an update on Maddox uh, Oliver. He ran in the district cross-country meet, and he finished sixth today. Mm. So he's an automatic qualifier for the state uh, championships. So some Congrats, BFT yeah. some BFT karma right there. <laughs> After, anytime you come on the show, you qualify for state. So congrats to Maddox and his teammates at Canby High School. Uh, coming up, uh, you'll hear from Brock Heward. He gave an interview with John Wilder and I on the Kanzano and Wilder podcast. I pulled some chunks from that. I want to play for you. I want to talk about it. He talks about Bo Nix and the Ducks. He talks about the QBs in the conference. You'll hear from Brock Heward coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Former Washington quarterback, former NFL quarterback. Join John Wilner and I on the Kanzano uh, and Wilner podcast. I want to play this. I'll play this on my end if that's all right with you, uh, Stephen, uh, so I can kind of control where I stop it and start it. Uh, that way we can stop and we can kick around what Brock Heward is saying throughout the interview. But we, we, uh, we do a podcast uh, and we generally try to have on one guest per week. Early in the week, we have a guest. Later in the week, we, uh, we just riff and uh, talk about the games that are coming up this weekend. But we started this week with Brock Heward, who is, uh, was working the Oregon-UCLA game. He was also working the Utah-USC game for Fox. 
And so he has got a good look at the conference. And we started this week by talking about, well, I asked him about the Ducks. I asked him about what he saw. Well, I'll let myself speak for it. I'm not going to interrupt myself. But here's me talking to Brock Heward. John Wilner, you'll hear him in there as well. But uh, I'm just going to play a chunk of this, and then we're going to kick it around a little bit. You, you probably watched a little, if not all, of the Oregon-Georgia game. I'm curious, you know, what you saw this week as they, they play UCLA. What are they doing differently Aside from the opponent just, you know, not being the best team in the country, you know, mm-hmm. is Bo Nix doing something differently? Is Ken, Kenny Dillingham, or, or, you know, is the scheme changed at all or evolved? They've learned each other. And it doesn't matter if it's a John and John podcast. It doesn't matter if it's a Brock and Salk show. It doesn't matter if it's an NFL team, collegiate team, 12-year-old team. Like, you start to learn one another and the rhythm of one another and what we can do and what we can't do and what we like and what we don't like. You know, Pete Carroll loves to say – this term, and he said it for 12 years in Seattle. He said the same thing in his dynastic run at SC. Like, we got to learn our learners. And there's no way, no matter how much offseason, preseason you do, you get thrown in the in a hostile environment against the best team in the country, the most talented team in the country, and it exposes what you are and what you're not. And uh, since then, you have seen them maximize their efficiency, uh, build around their personnel, put them all in positions for success, I thought the difference Saturday was Bo Nix stretching the field. It's Troy Franklin becoming a legit go-to dynamic dude on the perimeter, along with their veteran O-line and four running backs and four tight ends. But, yeah, they're just they're, they're a totally different team. In that game, I think now in the rearview mirror, what it did is exposed so quickly what you were and what you weren't. You didn't play three cupcakes in September, right, where, yeah, we got away with this, yeah, we got away with that. You got away with nothing, and you'll have to take it, and you'll have to eat it, which they did on that plane ride home from Atlanta, Georgia, to Eugene, and they use that to their benefit, and you're seeing it pay off in huge ways. All right, so you know we're basically talking about changing the narrative, and Stephen and Peter, we have talked about this from Oregon's standpoint. You know, there's one thing that Oregon needs to do is it needs to win every game and be 12 and one at the end of the rainbow, but the second part. A guy like Brock Heward can help with this conversation because he's talking about reinventing and being a different football team. And I think the Pac-12, and Oregon in particular, needs more of this talk from national voices and a guy who's on Fox. Yeah, no doubt. And that's the thing is it was so bad in week one against Georgia that for the most part, that's what people are still going to think about is that Georgia loss. But if you get people like Brock Heward who has a good, you know, good platform – and it's very informative, very smart. And he's talking about how this Ducks offense is completely different. And they've learned each other. And it just went through some growing pains at the start of the year. And now they're clicking and they're a top you know, 5, 10 offense in the nation. That's how Oregon's going to get back into the national view of trying to get to the CFP, which, of course, is an invitational, not a playoff, as you say. But you got to get people on their side. And I think right now the Ducks are earning some of the respect of these national college football people to hopefully put that narrative out there that the Ducks have changed and they are a completely different team. Let's go. Let's uh, continue with another question here. John Wilner and I interviewing Brock Heward. So, Brock, let's say the Ducks win out and they're 12-1. and one. Almost every 12-1 and one Power 5 champ has made the playoff except one. Uh, do you think Oregon has got a shot? Or do you think 49-3 to is just going to weigh on everything, whether it's the ESPN studio shows that are talking about the playoff or the committee itself? Do you think that that one game could keep Oregon out? Well, in that scenario, you have beaten 
Washington, you have beaten Utah, you have beaten Oregon State, and then you have beaten somebody that's going to be likely in the top 12 in the country in the tra- in the championship game, right? So you've got to hope, John, and you know how this plays out. You guys study this and talk about it and detail it better than anybody, right? Now you've got to root for some of those teams to continue to win, for, for Washington to be a 9-win team, right? For Utah to continue to win and be a 9 or 10-win team. So Oregon State to you know, obviously there's going to be a loss with Washington and, and Oregon State in, in a week and a half, but ultimately for them to, you know, to pump up their resume. So you're going to need some of that help and you're going to need a two loss team that you're going up against a one loss, Tennessee and a, and a one loss. If you play that all the way out, Oregon team, probably not going to get that benefit of the doubt because 49, seven is 49, seven, but you, you versus a two loss SEC team, I think that there's enough, and and we have seen that. You know, we saw that with the Huskies in 16. I think we would have seen it with with Utah if, if they had not lost to Oregon in a championship game, right? So I think we would have seen them as a one loss team. And I think with the with the, what the conference is doing and with their rankings and with their numbers and with their off out of conference, uh, you know, work that they got done with some marquee wins. Yeah. I do think a one loss is going to upset a, a two loss SEC in that case. Yeah, but he's talking again. Like a lot of us have been talking about the possibility of, you know, you're going to need some help in the SEC. And it's why, you know, people keep telling me this weekend is not a big weekend for the Pac-12 conference. Nonsense. You know, look at look over at the SEC schedule and tell me that it's not a big weekend because if you're uh, a Pac-12 fan, you know, you're literally looking at Florida playing at Georgia. You're You're looking at uh, you know, uh, a potential uh, Mississippi team going to Texas A&M. And for the first time since 1951, you're going to have a ranked Kentucky team playing a ranked Tennessee team. So number 19, Kentucky is going to Tennessee. So it is a big weekend for the Pac-12 because you're going to need some help from the SEC teams. You need to, you know, accumulate some losses there. And I think it's really interesting because we yesterday I tweeted out that we're a week away, and we're now six days away, from the very first college football playoff rankings coming out. And I tweeted out, I said, which fan base is going to be the most upset? And people kept saying, well, it'll be Oregon, or it'll be Alabama, well, it'll be someone else. Like, I just kind of feel like you, you need to keep in mind that every weekend is a big weekend for the Pac-12. It's, it's a big weekend because if you're a Pac-12 football fan, what happens This weekend in the SEC absolutely is important for what you're doing. More with Brock Heward coming up. He's going to rank the quarterbacks. And he took took objection to the idea that Tanner McKee at Stanford is going to be the top quarterback in the NFL draft. Oh, yeah. Brock Heward evaluating Pac-12 quarterbacks. You'll hear about that next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Brock Heward with Fox talking to uh, John Wilner and I on the Canzano and Wilner podcast uh, earlier this week. Uh, we turned the subject to quarterbacks in the Pac 12 conference. I asked him, uh, well, literally, I just started naming off the great quarterbacks, and he interrupted me and took off. Got Caleb Williams at USC, Cam Rising at Utah, Bo Nix at Oregon, 
uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA. There's some good QBs in this league. Michael Penix at yeah, Washington, Penix. Cam Moore, yeah. right? I mean, all of them. Uh, Delora and the, and the numbers he's putting up at Arizona. I mean, it goes not just two, three. You're stretching to six or seven that can single-handedly beat you on a weekend. Give me a, of that group. Who do you want if if you gotta you gotta play a season with a guy? Who do you want if you if you have a big oh, game? How about a possession? You know, it, it, is the answer different to those questions, or or is it one and the same? I think it is. I think it's also give me the supporting cast, right? I mean, you you got to give me an O line, and there's a lot of good lines. Washington's line's good. Oregon's line is very good. Oregon State's is pretty good. SC's is much better than people thought. UCLA is much better, the offensive line I'm speaking here, than people thought. Arizona's got an NFL dude on it and is functionable. So kind of give me the supporting cast around it, and then I think that also kind of shapes those different scenarios. But I'll say this, like talking to different coaches as I get a chance to do in this conference and NFL personnel that I'll see, like to a man, the one that they keep bringing up is, geez, Cam Rising is just one tough sucker. Like you just can't slay him. You know, you're just you're just willing and, and want to like, okay, Utah's not quite as good this year. The personnel's not quite as elite. You lose your best playmaking, you know, player in, in Brent Keithy. And, you know, your defense isn't getting sacks and takeaways and turnovers and and tackles for loss and these things that they had for the previous four or five years with Kyle. And Cam's just like cleans it up. We're good. You know, well, we'll clean it up. Even this running back, Tavion's been a major disappointment, heavy. Gained way too much weight and everything else. I know there's some some aspects of that off the field, but you know, a year ago he had Tavion Thomas as a sledgehammer and it was a one-two punch. Okay, I don't have him. That's okay. And I don't have my tight end. That's okay. I got some new pieces up front. That's okay. And he just kind of erases all of that. DTR's got Charbonnet. Penix has got the best receiving crew in the league. Bo Nix, as I referenced earlier, has got four tight ends, four running backs, an Alito line, uh, a difference maker on the perimeter. So you kind of go through that. Cam Ward's got a system that's so QB friendly that anybody's going to largely produce in it. Um, and, and Caleb's got, obviously, you know, from an O-line and receiver. And that Addison injury is real, and that affects them. But, you know, he's got Travis Dial. Cam's got, I think, the least supporting cast, and he's got to do the most. And certainly did in Salt Lake City versus USC. And he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a unique talent. All right, so we talk about potential MVPs in this conference. I want to go to Bo Nix. I want to go to Dorian Thompson-Robinson. But as I listen to Brock Heward talk about the job that Cam Rising does at Utah, it's hard for me not to look at that offense and just go, "It, you know, right, he doesn't have a run game. He lost his tight end. They don't have a game-breaking receiver. And, you know, I still want to see on November 19th, Utah at Oregon. Like, you can't just give Cam Rising, they finished third or fourth in the conference. You can't say, well, there's the MVP. You can't do that. But... He's certainly in the conversation right now. The conversation turned as John Wilner started talking about Tanner McKee, the Stanford quarterback. But listen to Brock Heward. You know, the thing is, we're talking about all these good quarterbacks, and we haven't even mentioned the guy who's going to be the highest draft pick of them all, at least this coming spring, right? Tanner McKee at Stanford? No, he won't. No, he won't. You don't think? No, no, no. That was like the whole Jacob Eason. I don't. And I got in a debate with people about Jacob Eason. They're like, oh, he's going to be a first-rounder. I'm like, no, he's not. Maybe in, in when he was in my draft class in 1999, but that's not the league anymore, you know. And and the you you've got to be mobile. You got to extend plays. You got to be strong. You got to have. And he's got some plus height. And I think he's got an okay arm. His delivery's okay. But yeah, I don't see. 
I don't see that. You know, now obviously Caleb can't come out. DTR will, and there will be you know some back and forth and and some debate about that. But yeah, I'm not in that. I'm looking at some of these draft projections. I saw one that had Cam Ward in the first round. Like, what are people? What what are you looking at? You know, that's not that's not real. That's not realistic. And and Tanner's good. And I don't mean to just totally poo poo that. But uh, I've seen some of those first-round projections, and I just, yeah, I don't get that at all. I don't get it either. I, uh, I, you know, I, I came out of media day, and I, I had a good interview with Tanner McKee. I think he's a smart kid. I, obviously, he's a Stanford kid, and I think that you know, for like a traditional pocket passer, but but he's not Andrew Luck back there at quarterback for Stanford. He's just not. He's not very mobile, and. There are better prospects. Who is, in your mind, Stephen, the best pro prospect in the Pac-12 right now of the guys that you see out there? Uh, at quarterback position, I think it's Caleb Williams. I think yeah. I think he's got what the NFL wants is a guy that can move around and throw. And the thing I like about Caleb Williams is he tries to stay in the pocket as much as he can. Now, he'll get he'll get out of the pocket and make a play, but he's not looking to run. Like he wants to be the pocket passer first, runner second. So I think out of the quarterbacks, I think it's Caleb Williams. I agree with you. And I think the funny thing for me with Caleb Williams is I don't I didn't want to believe it, right? I didn't want to like the guy. I didn't. He's the you know, he's part of what's wrong with college football. Kid jumping from Oklahoma to USC, taking a million dollar NIL deal, following Lincoln Riley, you know, all of that stuff, you know, all that baggage and garbage that goes with it. I didn't want to like him. And he didn't play well in a couple games that I saw. But the game where I really went, wow, was the Utah game. And USC is at Utah. It's a hostile environment. And I had seen flashes of it against Arizona State two weeks earlier where he really was competing. But it was a pretty good Utah defensive effort. And Caleb Williams was spinning around in the pocket, buying himself more time, and, you know, making plays. And I went, that was the first time I went, wow. After Caleb Williams, though, it gets interesting because Dorian Thompson-Robinson, you know, there have been some moments where I thought, you know, he could really play at the next level, and he's a different kind of quarterback, and, you know, he's older, more experienced, fifth-year starter, but I think Bo Nix flat-out played him, and I know Bo Nix has not been talked about as a potential high draft pick or a guy that is going to start in the NFL but I started thinking, like, could he have a nice career? Is he better than Sean Mannion? Is he better than Matt Moore? Is he better than Kellen Clemens? I started having those kinds of conversations in my mind, and the answer is yes and yes and yes. I think he's a better athlete. I think he's got a stronger arm. Now, I think part of what Oregon does in their scheme makes gives him a whole bunch of easy throws, so I'd have to talk to an NFL scout, but I started thinking about Bo Nix a little bit more. And then I started thinking about Michael Penix Jr. Because I think Michael Penix Jr. might be, after Caleb Williams, the best potential NFL prospect that's out there. Cam Ward, I don't think it's going to happen for him. Cam Rising, I don't think I see that for him at the next level. I think he's going to go down as a really great leader and a great college quarterback who maybe doesn't quite translate to the NFL. Um, you know, I'm not talking about as a starter, maybe he's a backup somewhere. That's fine. Or maybe he goes and plays in the Canadian football league. Like the guy's a competitor, but I think it's right now. I think it's Caleb Williams. I think it's Michael Penix jr. After that, maybe it's Bo Nix. Maybe it's Dorian Thompson Robinson. 
and then Tanner McKee maybe in the middle of the pack back there. And gosh, if you're an Oregon State fan, the thing that you're lamenting as you hear all this conversation about quarterbacks is the fact that Jonathan Smith doesn't have one yet. Uh, you know, and he's, I know he's out on the road and he's recruiting. And my hope is that he's recruiting the next quarterback. Or my hope is that Oregon State, you know, who probably should have had JT Daniels. Like if JT Daniels had come to Oregon State, he'd be playing right now. You know, I, I think you can get along with Ben Gobrinson right now, who's a third-year freshman. But if you're Jonathan Smith, that's the thing that's missing right now at Oregon State. It's that ability to recruit a transfer quarterback or have a quarterback come and want to play in your system. And maybe that falls on Oregon State's NIL collective, like in the end. That's the name of the game now in these days. Uh, and, you know, I just thought it was a really interesting talk with Brock Heward. If you want the rest of that conversation, it was about an hour long. Uh, get the Kanzano and Wilner podcast. The 5 at 5 is coming up next. You got the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Kanzano with the bald faced truth. Well, this hour, it's the happy hour uh, coming up. I'll tell you about a phone conversation I had with my kid. You think parenting ends when uh, your kids go off to college? No, it doesn't. I had a uh, exchange with Kenny Dillingham, Oregon's offensive coordinator, uh, just yesterday, I think it was. They've got a new baby girl. I told him to buckle up, as Willie, Willie Taggart said once upon a time. Uh, I'll tell you about that uh, coming up. We'll also talk about the best-case scenario for the Pac-12. Blazers catching lightning in a bottle. Undefeated Portland Trail Blazers. We should just keep saying that until they're not undefeated anymore. But before we get to any of that, we have to start with the five biggest stories going on in sports. We call it the 5-5-5 at 5-5-5. The 5 at 5. Well, Aaron Rodgers is standing by his comments on the Packers' offense. If anybody inside the Green Bay locker room had a problem with Aaron Rodgers' assessment of their offense and who should or should not receive playing time, they've not addressed it with him. Not his teammates, not Coach Matt LaFleur. Aaron Rodgers said that today, just the day after his weekly appearance on the Pat McAfee Show made waves because he said... Players who are making mistakes should not be playing. Maybe guys who aren't playing should be playing. Aaron Rodgers has become a distraction in the Green Bay locker room. He's not backing down from the comments. Says he doesn't understand why people have a problem with things that are truthful. Well, as long as we're calling it how we see it, you know, we're talking about uh, a loss on Sunday to the Washington Commanders. We're talking about the three and four Packers who have lost three straight games after a three and one start. It's not just a wake up call for everybody else, Aaron Rodgers. It's a wake up call for you. You've got to play better. Like, let's look at like who's making the money on this Green Bay roster before we start handing out blame. You got to play better. You're eating up too much of the uh, salary cap and out of proportion with the amount of criticism you're dishing for other people and what you're willing to take on yourself. It's true. Nobody's perfect, but look, in San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo saying, hey, I'm the problem. In Denver, Russell Wilson saying, I got to play better. 
in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers saying, well, everybody else needs to play better. Second thing in our five at five, Seahawks coach Pete Carroll. He's gone public saying that the league needs to re-examine whether NFL stadiums should exclusively use natural grass. We're talking about player safety now, and I think Pete Carroll is echoing the wishes of a lot of players in the league. You know, let's re-examine this. SoFi Stadium uses artificial surface. Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf, Chargers corner J.C. Jackson, both had knee injuries on Sunday at SoFi Stadium. Both of them came on non-contact plays. Pete Carroll said, I think we need to look at this seriously in the offseason. It's been a discussion before. We've got to do what's right. We've got to do what's safest for the players. And we've got to make those choices. I would pound on the drum for that. 14 of the NFL's 30 stadiums use artificial surface, including Lumen Field in Seattle. Players Association, two Septembers ago, called for teams to go to grass fields. Injury data from 2012 to 2018 shows that 28% higher rate of non-contact lower extremity injuries on artificial turf compared to natural grass. This is not a new conversation. I think it will get the attention of the Players Association and it'll get the attention of the league the minute players say, I'm not going to go play for a team that has its home games with artificial turf. Our third thing in our 5 at 5, let's go to Pac-12 Men's Basketball Media Day. Dana Altman calling out USC and UCLA. Said he's disappointed that they're leaving, but also let's be real. The Bruins and the Trojans are not winning Pac-12 titles. Here's Altman. You know, since I've I've been in the league, uh, you know, USC hasn't won the conference title or the tournament. Uh, UCLA uh, maybe won one tournament, one league title. You know, Arizona's been up there. You know, we've won four conference titles. Um, so our basketball league's going to survive. You know, we've got good coaches, good programs. Uh, we'll find our way. But it is disappointing because, you know, L.A. is important to us. And uh, UCLA and USC, you know, I like Mick, I like Andy. You know, so personally, you know, it's not any good. But uh, it is what it is, and, and we just got to fight through it. Got to fight through it, says Dana Altman. Meanwhile, uh, part of the same basketball media day, men's media day, Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State coach, said he's throwing out last season. Beavers were not good a year ago. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, we're excited for the 22-23 season, new group for the Beavs. Uh, these two guys uh, are, are a couple that we're really leaning on for a lot of leadership uh, in a lot of different areas, and they've done a great job to this point. But uh, uh, obviously have tried to squash the past year as much as we can, and we're really focused on uh, getting our culture back, which we feel we've done, and the energy and the work that this group's put in has been uh, super to this point, so we're, we're excited about what's in front of us. Oregon State picked last in the men's basketball media poll. Beavers don't have a point guard. That's part of the problem for Oregon State. But I love the shade. A little bit of shade, Stephen, from Dana Altman. How about that? Yeah, that was nice. I also liked Wayne Tinkle's comment of, yeah, I'm just glad to be here, you know, because, uh, <laughs> well, you know, not that he should be fired, but, you know, they've there were some thoughts about it. Yeah. yeah. I'm just glad to be here, guys. I'm just glad just... to be here and uh, talking about the basketball team. 
Uh, speaking of firings, uh, the Yankees not firing Aaron Boone. Yankees owner Hal Steinbrenner says he plans to keep Aaron Boone as his manager. He said they just signed him, and for all the same reasons he listed a year ago, I believe he's a very good manager. Uh, Steinbrenner said, uh, uh, said this today as he left the Yankees player development complex. Boone signed last October to a three-year deal, team option for 2025. And, you know, the Yankees weren't bad, but they were hampered by injuries down the stretch. They played about 500 ball after July. They were 38 and 40 after starting 61 and 23. Uh, they took Cleveland to five games uh, before uh, they got swept in four games by Houston in the ALCS. They weren't close to Houston. Unfortunately, the Astros moved on. Now the question is Aaron Judge. Where will he end up? Will he re-sign with the Yankees? Will he go to San Francisco or somewhere else? Keep an eye on that. Finally, the fifth thing in our five at five, Utah's playing Washington State on Thursday night football in the Pac-12. I like that, I'm gonna steal that. Thursday night football in the Pac-12, Utah at Washington State. Bill Riley, ESPN 700 joined us uh, last hour to talk about Utah. Can Utah get to the Pac-12 title game? They'd have to win out to do it, and they'd need some help. But here's Bill Riley. I think they have to win out. I mean, I think they have to win the rest of their games, including that tough game November 19th at Austin. And so I, I think I don't think a two. I just don't think a two-win team's going to get there. I think Oregon's probably they have, they've got you know some games. They've got Washington, Utah, and then the Civil War game. Really, USC and UCLA have each other, and they're going to one of those teams is going to be eliminated on November the 19th. I think when they play each other at the Rose Bowl. But I think if Utah wants to wants to defend its title in Las Vegas, they're going to have to win out. And uh, so I, that's kind of where I think they are right now. You know, Oregon's got a little wiggle room because they're undefeated. But they've got three tough games, so two of those three games are at home. So I think, the you know, the, the two L.A. schools, one of those teams will be eliminated by process of elimination on the 19th of November. Oregon's got some wiggle room. Utah's got to win out. I think that's how it plays. Yeah, he raises an interesting point, and I sort of, uh, and I'll address this coming up, I sort of think right now that USC-UCLA game, it's not just an elimination game, but it's, I think it's going to give us a really good idea of kind of where this conference is as far as, uh, as, far as our rooting interest concerned. Like, I, I just think there's a whole bunch of people who don't want to see either one of those teams win big in the Pac-12 conference. That is... The five, 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 five. You see how I did that with the echo? Do you like that? I did. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Trying to echo a little bit. Uh, let's unpack some of this stuff. A lot of franchises eager to fire people. Yankees sticking with Aaron Boone. Uh, where do you stand on this? Are you a knee-jerk, let's get rid of a coach if things don't get right guy? Or how much patience should a, should a pro team have with a manager or a coach? I think the Yankees need to have a little bit of patience with Aaron Boone. They certainly had their problems, but that was still a really good team. The real issue next year, it's not going to be whether or not Aaron Boone's back. It's that they jerked around with Aaron Judge, and he yep. gets paid to go somewhere else. So, like, I, again, I watched my share of Yankees baseball. I'm glad they're out. I'm a Yankee hater, but it wasn't necessarily Aaron Boone. It was problems with the bullpen. It was uh, really not a ton of offense outside of Judge, Rizzo, and, of course, Stanton. Uh, uh, they have other problems. Boone's fine. Yeah, the last half of the year, the Yankees, it was basically Aaron Judge hitting home runs or nothing. Like, that was their offense. Like, they have nobody that could get on base. It was all home run or nothing. I don't necessarily think it's an Aaron Boone problem. I think it's 
a roster construction problem, and Aaron Judge was so good he kind of carried the Yankees to that record and got them to the playoffs. So I, I think it's more that the Yankees need to address some of the problems they have on their roster first, and then you can really you know figure out if Aaron Boone can manage or not. The New York media, uh, New Jersey uh, dot com, Advanced Media's uh, New New Jersey entity, uh, told. Uh, uh, reported that somebody with the San Francisco Giants organization told them that Judge is at the top of the Giants list and they won't be under bid. If they miss out, it won't be because of money. How much money is Aaron Judge going to get? <laughs> that's the, that's the crazy thing. I mean, and it's not as if he's super young, right? I believe he's 32 years old. I'm looking this up right now because uh, I just forgot the exact age. 30. He's 30 years old. So if you give him a 10-year contract... I mean, with the injuries that this guy's had, he stayed healthy for basically two years in his whole career. If you're given a 10-year contract, I mean, what does that contract look like at the end of that? It's not going to be good. But at the same time, he was so good a season ago, you got to back up the truck for him. Like, if you're the Giants and you need that slugger, I mean, I don't know, $400 million? I think the I think the Yankees keep him, but they offered him seven years, $213 million. I'm looking at Mike Trout. Trout's getting 36 million a year, so maybe you go to eight years and 36 million. Let's just do the math on that. It's 288 million at that at that number. I mean, because if I'm Judge, I'm asking for more money than Mike Trout. Like I've I've gotten yeah. the team to the playoffs. Mike Trout's gotten to the team to the playoffs one time, hasn't won anything. So like, all right. So our, well, yeah. let's just say you go 40 million a year. Whew. Eight years, 40 million, 320 million. I think it's going to be somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> somewhere in the three hundred. I think it's going to start with the three. That's why the, I tell my kids. I, that's why I tell my kids I want them to be good at baseball. Like if Keep. you hit, if you hit your baseball player, you're going to be making three hundred million dollars. Yeah, cool. <laughs> sign, sign me up. Go get it done. Uh, okay, moving through the, the rest of the five at five. How how out of line is Aaron Rodgers right now? I, it, maybe it just bothers me because I want the quarterback to be a leader. Uh, so my family, they are all Packer fans for the most part. Like they grew up in that area. Every single one of them hates Aaron Rodgers so much, and they can't stand him. So I don't think I don't think you are wrong. I think he, I mean, he's just he's out there, right? And like when yeah. he's making plays and he's really good at an MVP level, it's okay. You'll deal with it. But when you're not performing well and you're just blowing teammates off, that's when it's a problem. So I think I think Aaron Rodgers has to figure something out uh, before this goes really bad. He uh, he's making fifty. He'll make fifty eight point three million uh, this year. He gets a bonus. It's a forty seven million dollar bonus that comes with it. His deal was three years, hundred fifty million. So for that amount of money, I don't want that your job to be to point fingers. You know, like even if it's not your fault, you got to pick people up around you. That's part of being a leader. So that bothers me fundamentally. Yeah, and don't do it like Russell Wilson. Like that's the thing, Russell Wilson. You know. T- takes blame for himself and doesn't blame others, but at the same time, it's it's the combination of both. you got to find the right middle of it. Yeah. Realistic, normal, just be normal. Is it too much to ask these guys to be normal? <laughs> I think <laughs> it is. That's what I'm asking. I mean, when you're making $150 million over three years, maybe I wouldn't be normal either. I don't know. I don't know, but I would try. I would make a better effort than Aaron Rodgers is making. <laughs> uh, Pete Carroll wants grass for the NFL fields. Does this happen, guys? Peter, does this happen? I don't think it happens, but I'd love to see it, man. Turf is brutal. If you, and I'm sure I know you have, John, but anyone listening, if you've never stood on turf, yeah. man, I know it's better than it used to be. It's not the Astro Dome in the 70s where it's just straight 
concrete, but such a physical sport. It's one thing you can kind of get away with it with baseball, you know, but I mean, football, a contact sport, you're falling on it. You got to do everything to minimize injuries and maintain player safety. And some of the stadiums that have artificial turf, it's not good. Like some players will tell you that some places are better than others. When you see two non-contact injuries, I just wonder for the investment that teams are putting into players, can you really afford to not have grass inside the stadium? And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Allegiant Stadium in, in Las Vegas, uh, do they have grass inside that stadium? I think I think it is. I'm looking it up right now. Natural grass trace, yeah. So I thought this was really interesting that they bring in, you know, they can roll up these turf trays and they can bring natural grass inside the stadium. So they have the ability to to alternate between uh, turf or grass or whatever. So construction, I'm looking at photos right now that they roll out grass turf. Yeah, it seems it's, like with technology, they should be able to do that, right? And if the players are complaining about the turf field, it seems like such an easy solution to just try to get grass everywhere. And like you said, they, there's technology to have it done now. Go to it. Get after it. All right, coming up, I'm going to talk about uh, the best-case scenario for the Pac-12 conference. Also, uh, George Klyovkov speaking today at Men's Basketball Media Day. Made some interesting comments. Uh, I want to unpack it a little bit, talk about you know what's going to happen in the Pac-12. Blazers undefeated. Can I just say it again? Peter, they're undefeated. Oh, I love it, I believe. You got a, you got the pulse coming up uh, top of the hour as well. Are you going to talk Blazers? Uh, no, not today. We've got a Friday. Uh, there it is. All right, so coming up, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Pac-12 conference. Blazers are undefeated. I'll say it again. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, it was basketball media day today. I talked about this early in the show, but uh, I want to recap a little bit of what happened today in San Francisco at the downtown San Francisco headquarters of the Pac-12 conference. Uh, you know, George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, spoke. He took the stage. Again, men's basketball media day. People are there to talk about Arizona and Oregon and UCLA and Oregon State and the coaches and the media and all this stuff, but... As part of the festivities, George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, got on the stage and he spoke at length with reporters and did a Q&A session. Now, the majority of the Q&A session had nothing to do with basketball. It had to do with the conference's media rights negotiation. It had to do with expansion. And just a lot of questions that, you know, I think are questions that the Pac-12 is probably tired of answering. And frankly, media members are tired of asking like, we all want this to be in the rearview mirror. And I got to be honest, I didn't get into this business to pester Pac-12 athletic directors and presidents and conference sources and even ask the commissioner over and over again, hey, what's going on with your media rights? Hey, what's going on with your media rights? Hey, by the way, how many more minutes till we get there? Hey, how many more minutes till we get there? Like, that's essentially what it turns into when you have the Pac-12 conference seeking a media rights deal and a negotiation that... Seemingly is dragging on and on and on and on. Uh, Klyovkov didn't say a whole bunch today. He was very vague. Uh, I don't blame him for being vague. I think uh, he does not want to speak out of turn or out of school. He's got a board, the Pac-12 CEO group that he has to answer to. So when he's asked specifics on whether uh, you know they're going to expand and who's going to be those members, he doesn't have good answers for that. 
So I don't blame him for doing that, but I'm going to tell you uh, a little bit of what I know when it comes to the Pac-12 conference media rights, what I've learned, what I know, all of that stuff. And I think that probably is more valuable use of our time than uh, going uh, down the rabbit hole that is, what did George Klyovkov not say today in downtown San Francisco? And oh, by the way, yes, they still have a headquarters. They have about eight months left on the lease. And amen to this, they are not renewing the lease. They will not be uh, paying another $12 million to rent out a building that nobody needs and Larry Scott's shrine to himself, all that stuff. So this is the last media day that the Pac-12 will be holding in downtown San Francisco at their headquarters. But Klyovkov sat uh, in a chair and he fielded questions and didn't really say a whole bunch. You know, he, he was asked about, well, will the media rights get uh, deal get done in days, months, or years? And he said somewhere in that range, kind of joked around about it. Then he was asked, would it include a digital streaming service? And he said, I don't see any scenario where we don't end up streaming some of our games. He was asked about expansion candidates, and he said, we're not going to talk about specific candidates. But here's what I know, and here's what I think. The Pac-12 CEO group is going to meet next week. Uh, the conference's meeting presidents and chancellors are expected to drill down on a media rights negotiation. Now, this feels to me like a fork-in-the-road moment for the conference. They've got to pick a path. Who are they going? What direction are they going? Like, it feels like next week they've kind of, kind of got to get some clarity on this. Now, I believe that Amazon and ESPN are the most likely media partners for the Pac-12. We've talked for months about streaming services versus the glow of the ESPN product, right? Like, if you're on ESPN, you get all that wonderful shoulder programming and propaganda that ESPN likes to bring to the table when you're their partner. So I think the Pac-12 wants that, probably values that, probably values a blend between going with someone like Amazon, who may offer some more dollars and and the ability for the Pac-12 networks to be streamed and be uh, available and accessible for Pac-12 fans, and ESPN, which really gives you that platform. Now, I'm also told there may be a surprise third entity in this. And I've wondered, is it Apple? Like, But would Apple be enough of a surprise to be a surprise? Could it be Turner? Turner has kicked the tires on college football, but would Turner, who has traditionally been in the you know NCAA tournament space, would they choose the Pac-12 as their entry point to football? It's also possible that this third party is just uh, somebody who is being included by the Pac-12 to foster some negotiating leverage. So keep an eye on that. Probably Amazon, probably ESPN, and a blend between the two so that you don't go all in too soon with a streaming service, but you uh, you also get the linear, traditional uh, you know ESPN partnership and then you get you know some Amazon partnership that is new and cutting edge and exciting and you know we've seen what they do on Thursday night football uh, one conference ad told me to expect that there are three to four weeks here in this timeline so we are currently sitting here uh, literally on the 26th of October and if forecast two to three weeks we're looking at somewhere between November 9th and November 16th keep those dates in mind Two to three weeks. Keep those dates in mind. Conference AD telling me that's the timeline. Not to have a done deal, but to have clarity. Likely in the form of a binding sheet or a letter of agreement. Then the final terms would get hammered out. But again, November 9th to November 16th. Now, Bob Thompson, the retired Fox Sports Network's president, told me recently that it's much easier to get a meteorites deal finalized when you're simply renewing with existing partners. It's why the Big 12 Conference 
is probably telling the truth when it says it's only weeks away from completing a deal. It's in a little bit of a race with the Pac-12, right? Trying to get a deal done first, maybe to show that, you know, hey, uh, you know, they were forward thinking, maybe to so they can put some numbers in front of other schools that they're potentially trying to entice. I don't really see that happening. Again, I have told you from the beginning, I'm only going to give you in-depth, sourced reporting and commentary. I'm not going to be like the message board honks in Arizona in particular who are running around trying to sell people subscriptions to their fanboy website and tell you myths and innuendos and you know, uh, give you stuff that really, frankly, isn't true. Like, I'm not going to do that. And I tell you, on this radio show and on johnconzano.com, if you subscribe there, you know that I'm giving you sourced, in-depth reporting and commentary that you cannot get anywhere else. So you stick with me. I will not lead you astray. But uh, so that makes sense to me, like the timeline when you're talking about the complexity of new partners and new partners being Amazon because you need to negotiate every detail with a new partner. So I think that's why this is taking a little bit longer. Now, the Pac-12 is still holding out hope. It's evident that UCLA is going to reverse course and stay in the conference. I do think it's an unlikely outcome. The UC Regents, remember those dates I told you about? November 9th to the 16th? Well, the UC Regents are meeting November 15th, 16th, and 17th at UC San Francisco. Now, the prevailing thought is that the regents are going to require UCLA to either pay a subsidy to UC Berkeley or they're going to take less money from the UC system. And along with some increased travel expenses, the cost of competing in the Big Ten, it'll be interesting to see if that's going to be enough to make the Bruins backtrack. Like, again, unlikely, but keep an eye on it. I think that's what the Pac-12 is kind of holding out hope for. Now, George Klyovkov was asked by a reporter from the Los Angeles Times on Wednesday, and I've talked about this throughout the show, how would he expect to work cooperatively cooperatively with UCLA if he thwarted its wishes to leave for the Big Ten? Now, Klyovkov said, we're not thwarting anyone's wishes. It's up to the regents. Basically, hey, it's not us. We're not doing anything here. We're just providing information. Now, those dates I mentioned earlier, November 9th to the 16th, And again, the Regents meeting, November 15th to the 17th, they line up. You see how they line up? I find it very peculiar, if not interesting, that the timeline for the UC Regents meeting and the timeline on clarity for the media rights front appear to coincide. Just me spitballing here. But does anybody else find that interesting, peculiar? Feels a little too coincidental. Now, it's possible that the Pac-12 has intentionally positioned the timeline. Perhaps it wants to give UCLA some concrete media rights numbers right in front of it as the regents are meeting. I think that's interesting that there's going to be a math equation that UCLA has to do, and the Pac-12 appears to be plotting to put the figures in front of UCLA at the same time that the regents are adjusting the math when it comes to the amount of money that the UC system gives UCLA versus UC Berkeley. So I think that's really interesting, and I think it's very intentional by the Pac-12. Keep an eye on that, and keep an eye on whether or not UCLA starts to backpedal between now and November 17th, when they meet with the regents on the 15th, 16th, they get some media numbers in front of them. It's possible that the... uh, Regents are going to say to UCLA, 
look, we're going to penalize you by $20 million a year. We're not going to give you the, you know, the amount of distribution that we gave you before because you're going to the Big Ten, you're getting more money. And you, when you combine that with the travel costs, when you combine that with the costs of trying to compete in the Big Ten, the coaching salaries, all things, now I understand why George Klyovkov said that he felt it was a money-losing proposition for UCLA to go to the Big Ten. I'm kind of wondering if the Pac-12 is going to come out of left field with some dollars from Amazon that make this a very difficult decision for UCLA. What is even at the end of this? Like, you take the money that the UC regents are taking from UCLA, you factor in the cost of travel, you factor in the possibility that, that UCLA is going to have to pay their coaches more in order to compete in the Big Ten, then you uh, look at maybe a windfall from Amazon that is more money than UCLA and the Pac-12 were anticipating in their media rights deal, and all of a sudden, what if the numbers are you know, in the same ballpark? Is that an easy decision for UCLA? Is, too, is there too much water under the bridge? I don't know. Again, I think it's unlikely that UCLA stays, but it's something to think about. Now, George Klyovkov also talked expansion. I am not sold that the Pac-12 has to expand. But it sounds to me like the conference is at least exploring their options. San Diego State probably makes sense if uh, USC is gone, and I think they are. UCLA, maybe. Maybe UNLV or SMU makes sense. I know Fresno State and Boise State would love to be included, but I just don't see the presidents and chancellors in the Pac-12 looking at Boise State and Fresno State and going, you know what, that elevates our profile. I just don't think that's how they think. Uh, it's why I keep thinking there's a splashier expansion move out there. Keep an eye on the Big 12. George Klyovkov said, quote, we're going to be looking at schools that make sense for us, end quote. Again, basketball media day, dominated by the conversation uh, that is largely surrounding football and media rights. You got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT radio network. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. People are so funny. Aren't they interesting? Funny. I remain like the, I think the, one of the most interesting parts of my job is the fact that I come in contact with so many people. I'm talking about coaches, players, other media members, fans, listeners, readers, and, of course, people on social media. I got a guy today who tweeted at me, and he's a UCLA fan. And he's also a UCLA fan that comes to the conversation with an agenda. Now, look, I don't mind a little bit of dialogue, healthy dialogue back and forth on social media. I understand that when you get out there, there's a loss of civility that happens. But you got some people who just so badly want UCLA and USC in the Big Ten Conference that they don't want to listen to reason or rhyme or whatnot. And I got a guy who's tweeting at me going, you know, this makes no sense. And I looked at his Twitter handle, and his Twitter handle was Big Ten Bruins or something like that, or Big Ten UCLA fan or something stupid like that. Like, it, like literally, like, it reminds me of the people, and check yourself if this is you, you got a name, right? You have an identity. And if your identity is your team... I get it. More power to you. But you are announcing to the world if your Twitter handle is your team's name and not your own name or some identifying feature of your personality that yeah, you're announcing that you have given over your persona and your identity 
to your sports team. And I'm not sure that's healthy. Okay, I'm just saying that right now. Now, I don't mind people doing that, and if that's you, that's cool. But when you tweet at me, and your name is, uh, or your Twitter handle is your team's name, or, or even worse, your team's name and the conference you're hoping they go to, like, come on. If that, that's your identity, then I want you to know that you might need to take a step backwards. And I also want you to know when I tweet with you, or listen to your uh, tweet, or read your tweet, whatever I'm doing, um, that I'm, uh, I'm attaching some baggage to it. So I know this individual wants, badly wants UCLA to be in the Big Ten. He's very proud of it. And so he doesn't want to listen to anything that is of the contrary. Now, I, I reported today at johnconzano.com. If you subscribe to me, you know this. You got it in real time. It got delivered right to your email inbox the minute I published it. Boom, it went to you first exclusively right where you can have it. It's ready and waiting for you. Subscribers, whether you have a free subscription or a paid subscription, you know what I'm talking about. But this individual I posted today uh, tweeted at me and said, this makes no sense. And he was talking about the idea that, uh, you know, there is a possibility that the UC Regents, they're meeting on uh, November 15th, 16th, 17th. There's a possibility that the UC Regents are going to penalize UCLA to the tune of 10 to 20 million dollars. That's kind of the figure that I've heard thrown around out there um, and that people in the know are talking about. Now, penalize is interesting because I think there's a couple of ways that the UC system could penalize UCLA. And I've talked about it in depth in the last segment, but I want to uh, I want to dive into it a little bit here because I think there's some confusion around it. If the UC system is going to penalize UCLA, it could require UCLA to pay a subsidy to Cal. Like, it could require them to cut him a check at the end of the year. But I think that's a tough way to collect a debt, to ask UCLA to write a check every year and have Cal sitting around going, they didn't pay us. And, you know, there's an easier way to do this if you're the UC system. And one of the ways that the UC system could penalize UCLA for leaving is they could, they could just not fund UCLA as much as they would normally fund them. And they could say, hey, look, we're just going to subtract 10 to $20 million of support. And you're going to have to figure out how to make it, you know, you're getting more money in the Big Ten. Go figure it out. And, you know, the, the person I was tweeting with, and I don't know why I waste my time with this, but the person I was tweeting with did not understand this and grasp it. And I literally said, look, actions, your actions sometimes come with consequences. Decisions come with consequences. You learn this as a kid. I think it's one of the most valuable things that parents teach us and life teaches us as a young person is that your decisions come with consequences. Sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they're negative. Sometimes they're positive. There can be a positive consequence or there can be a positive outcome that comes from a decision. Sure, UCLA could go to the Big Ten. It could enjoy ridiculous success and it could, uh, you know, garner more money in the media rights world than ever. But the other consequence that could come from this is that the UC system could just turn to UCLA and go, look, this was a bad move by you. You're welcome to do what you want but we're just not going to fund you. We're going to take 10 to $20 million a year, and we're going to slide it around the UC system that we would have normally given to you, and we're going to slide it to others because, hey, you've got, it, you've got it covered over there. You've got it figured out. So again, decisions come with consequences, okay? Now, I can hear you all out there scrambling your Twitter accounts, changing your handles, and altering your pictures. I'm not saying that if you have, like, you're a diehard Blazer fan or a Duck fan or a Beaver fan, and... Your Twitter avatar is, 
or your Instagram avatar is your team's logo. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. If that's what you love and you want to represent, you don't really feel comfortable putting a picture of yourself out there, cool. Do what you want. But if your handle is like your team name, Duck1234, Beaver Fan1234, Trailblazer Diehard1234, or Big Ten UCLA all the way uh, is your handle, just know the rest of us are going to make some judgments about you before we have even had an interaction. Talk about first impressions. Georgia beat Oregon 49-3 to in week one. Your Twitter handle walks in the room with you on Twitter, okay? I'm just saying. If you want, you, you know, you want to be taken seriously, you want to be ta- like a rational, hey, this isn't a diehard fan who's got the rose-colored glasses on, then come with a proper Twitter handle. Coming up, I'm going to talk about the best case scenario for the Pac-12 championship game. What's the best case for the Pac-12 conference and the teams in the Pac-12 conference? Because there's a worst-case scenario. Like, the worst-case scenario, well, it would probably involve UCLA and USC meeting in Las Vegas and the rest of us going, damn it, why is that happening? They shouldn't be there. But I'll talk about what the best outcome is for the conference uh, coming up. Plus, uh, for those of you who are interested, later in the week, we've got Mark Few, the Gonzaga basketball coach. He's going to be on Thursday's show. Uh, we got great shows this week, great guests this week. Jaden Grant will be on Thursday, Oregon State defensive back, among others. Uh, Thursday and Friday, a big run-up to the college football weekend, and we'll do a lot of talking about what is relevant, and what is important, and what is going on. Uh, you got the Bald Face Truth statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. What's best for the Pac-12 when it comes to Vegas and the conference championship game? I'll tell you coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. reached out to me today. She sent me a text message. She wanted to know if I knew Dolores. Do you know Dolores? I don't know what you think about when somebody sends you a text message saying, do you know a Dolores? Well, anyway, what had happened is uh, my kid got a delivery to the uh, rental house that she lives in, and it was from Dolores wishing her a happy Halloween. Now, I said, take a picture of the package for me. And she said, oh, there's candy in it. I said, don't eat the candy. This is what happens when you have a college sophomore. You're still parenting. I'm just here to tell you that the parenting does not end. You're still parenting. You're still going, don't eat that. You don't know who it's from. This could be a trick. So I told her, uh, take, a, <laughs> take a picture of this package and send it to me. And she did. And it looked like an Amazon delivery. And it was a bucket of candy. And, and uh, it was, uh, you know, just, it was like a happy Halloween thing. And it had her name on it. You know, it said, happy Halloween from Dolores and family. And, uh, you know, she wanted to know if I knew a Dolores. And I said, I don't know a Dolores. I have no idea who this is from. Do not eat it until you figure it out. Ask your friends. Ask, uh, you know, the people in your circle. Who's Dolores to you? And it actually had Dolores' last name. And I Googled Dolores' last name. Gave me, you know, I came up empty. I had nothing. So, <laughs> in the end, um, I spent about 10 minutes with her on the phone. Basically talking to her like she was eight years old again and going, hey, you don't even want to eat that Halloween candy. You don't know who it's from. Until suddenly she goes, oh, yeah, I know who Dolores is. I gave Dolores 
and, and her kid a tour of the campus. She goes to school at Oregon State, and apparently Dolores and somebody else uh, wanted a tour of the campus, and Dolores is a friend of a friend, and whatever. But bottom line is, I'm telling you out there, and I told Kenny Dillingham that this, the, uh, this exact thing this week. Kenny Dillingham, the Oregon offensive coordinator, he and his wife have a fairly new baby girl, okay? Mike, like six months old. And Kenny Dillingham said, sleepless nights. And I said, I am here to tell you, I have three daughters that it, the parenting and the sleepless nights, uh, they, they don't end when the kid gets older. You get a lull in the middle when they get about eight years old to the time that they're about 13. You get a little lull. They lull you to sleep, and then they come back uh, awake just like they were as newborns. So anyway, public service announcement. If you get a delivery, even an Amazon delivery, that is from Dolores and it's got Halloween candy in it and you don't know who Dolores is, do not eat the candy until you figure out who Dolores is. That is my public service announcement for the day. Now, I, I talked in the last segment kind of about the Pac-12 and where they're headed on meteorites and expansion and all that stuff, and I am very eager to get back to talking about the football and basketball and such. And I, I think one day we will go to Media Day in the Pac-12 conference and we will talk about what is actually happening with them and the players. And I think that's a real disservice uh, that is going on over the top of kind of what is happening across the country. The Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC, the ACC. There's just a lot of discussion that isn't about the games. And I don't know that as, you know, in the last 10 years I've ever been this tuned in to what the media rights deals are. I don't think you have either. And suddenly we all know way too much about this stuff. I would like to get this to be about the games. So I want to talk a little bit about Bo Nix and the Oregon Ducks. Because I kind of think Oregon is the best chance that this conference has, maybe Oregon or Utah, the best chance that the conference has of not allowing USC and UCLA to get the last laugh. And what I mean by that is, you know, we talk about the four teams right now that are kind of more ideally positioned in the Pac-12 conference standings to compete for the Pac-12 championship, to get to Las Vegas. And I'm torn. Like a lot of you, I don't want to see USC win the conference championship. And I don't want to see UCLA win it either. I just don't because I'm a purist and a traditionalist, and if they're leaving the conference, to hell with them. They can't win this thing because the narrative's going to be, well, that's why they're leaving. That's why they needed to get out. This conference isn't any damn good. As my grandfather said of Italy, if it was any damn good, I wouldn't have left it, or at least his small town in Italy. So I look at Oregon in particular, and maybe Utah, and maybe even Oregon State, and I go, look, the three of you have got to figure out a way for one of you three to win this conference championship in football. Can't let USC and UCLA run away with this thing. And frankly, I don't think USC and UCLA are the best teams either. I think that, you know, they're obviously improved, but I thought Oregon really outclassed UCLA a week ago, and I think on a neutral field, Oregon beats UCLA again. And I thought, uh, you know, Utah beat USC a couple of weeks ago uh, in Rice-Eccles Stadium, and I think Utah is just a touch better on a neutral field than maybe USC, maybe not. I don't know. They're right in there, but I kind of feel like it's Oregon. Like, I keep coming back to that. It's that we need to win this thing. Now, you tell me what you think the best-case scenario is. Is the best-case scenario Oregon getting to Las Vegas and meeting again with UCLA and Chip Kelly and beating them on a neutral field? Is it Oregon meeting Lincoln Riley and USC? They won't play in the regular season and beating USC just to prove that, hey, there was nobody in the conference that was better than Oregon this year? 
because that would require Oregon beating Utah here on November 19th and advancing to the conference championship game and then meeting Lincoln Riley and USC in Las Vegas and then beating them. And, you know, there'd be no doubt with that one. Or is the best case scenario maybe Utah and Oregon meeting or Oregon and Oregon State meeting? Hell, I'd like that. Like, you know, we'd all love that. Rematch. Civil War game in Vegas. Let's take the Civil War to Vegas. Because uh, that can happen now with the North and South divisions. Now, I don't know where you stand on this, but I know that the end result has to be not one of the L.A. schools in the winner's circle. I don't care how it happens, but I, I don't think I'm alone in believing this. And I think there was a little bit of catharsis last Saturday at Autzen Stadium when Oregon knocked out UCLA, beat them pretty decisively. I know it was a 15-point win, but uh, Oregon could have made it 22 Oregon could have really poured it on there at the end, and they didn't. I think it was more than a 15-point win for Oregon. It was a very decisive victory for the Ducks. Now, uh, you know, and, and I also think there was a catharsis at Rice-Eccles Stadium when Utah beat USC, although that game was a one-point game. So I think I'm leaning towards the idea of an Oregon-USC championship game and kind of thinking the best thing for the Pac-12 would be Oregon beating USC then no one can say that USC and UCLA, at least for a year, they can't say that they're leaving the conference because they're the best two teams. There's no competition there and whatnot. Like Oregon winning the thing kind of puts that that question or that narrative to rest. But I also think there would be some poetry in neither LA school getting there. And then I couldn't help but think last week as UCLA was at Autzen Stadium, like what is UCLA going to do in the Big Ten Conference? I don't think they're going to be competitive. Like, at best, they're a middle-of-the-pack team in the Big Ten. At best, like in good years. Because I even think, like, if you take the Pac-12 champion in a lot of years, you would say they're competing for second or third place in the Big Ten. Like, with Ohio State at its best, like, in, in good years. Let's be real. So, I think that, you know, there's a really good chance that UCLA, this is as good as it gets for UCLA. Starting 6-0, and playing three cupcakes, not playing a real tough schedule, and then getting into a game against a team that is a quality opponent and finding out, like, oh, this is who you are. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think a rematch with UCLA would be the best-case scenario because it's a, it, there's a lot of downside for that from Oregon's standpoint. So I either think an Oregon-Utah or an Oregon-Oregon State championship game matchup, which could happen, or an Oregon-USC matchup, let's just see who the best team was because they don't play in the regular season. Keep that in mind as you watch the Thursday night game as Utah will play uh, against Washington State. Keep that in mind as you're watching Arizona play USC over the weekend. Not a lot of great games, but some interesting storylines developing as the Pac-12 sort of creeps towards Vegas in that championship game. All right, I'm back tomorrow with big guests. Later in the week, Mark Few, Gonzaga head coach, will join us. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Grab a podcast Give us some feedback, and I'll catch you tomorrow.